Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Want to go, pretty boy? Two minutes by yourself and you feel shame, you know, and then you get free. Anything better than a glass of beer is tea with Miss McGill. And welcome to the 4th Line Voice Podcast. My name is Darren. Thank you very much for tuning in. Episode 334. Of the big show, some enforcer-based podcasting coming at you, brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. How's everybody doing out there? Oh, you're hearing me? It's the, uh, the power of editing, folks. I am, as you're listening to this, I am in Sin City, Las Vegas, Nevada. Sure. You probably get this a lot. This isn't the real Caesar's Palace, is it? What do you mean? Did, did, um, did Caesar live here? Um, no. I don't think so. My- That's right, I am, uh, I'm, uh, as you're listening to this, hopefully, cash and some, cash and some, uh, t- some tickets, we'll see. We'll see what happens, but uh, I'm going to enjoy this vacation. Of course, I'm recording this uh, this intro Monday night. We leave here Tuesday morning, bright and early, so I'm going to wrap this up quick. I'm not going to talk to you for long, but I have a very special guest today, Jonathan Aiken. Yes, former uh, Boston Bruin and Chicago Blackhawk and uh, Calder Cup champion and uh, old WHL boy. You know, so uh, I think you guys will really dig it. Jonathan was a great guest, and I uh, want to thank him again for coming on the show. And, uh, yeah, so other than that, like I said, uh, I got to go pack, so I'm not going to talk for long. And no one's tuning in to listen to me anyway. But before, you know, got a, th- got a, a few odds and ends. Well, I got a few I got a few odd folks to talk about. We'll start with Joel, Joel Azito out in New York, Coliseum Chronicles podcast. He's uh, uploaded uh, Mick, the Mick Fakota, the last episodes he's doing. Mick Fakota. And I think he does, I don't. I can't remember how many parts the Mick Fakota interview is. Um, but I will say, I've always said that the, that his Mick Fakota interview is probably the best player interview podcast ever done. I will say that now. 
So I think uh, even if you weren't a big fan of Fakotas or whatever, I would check it out because Mick is a very entertaining guest. And uh, him and Joe have a great rapport. And it's it's a really great interview. Great WHL stories. He's a great storyteller. So, ch- yeah, you'll dig it. Believe me. Go check it out. And, uh, yes. And then Alec over at the Five for Fighting podcast, who was my guest on the last episode, is we, we uh, did an East Coast League preview. I always say he's my East Coast League correspondent. And uh, he brought us up to date on the who to watch for this year and uh, some early season. It was a early season, or what is it? Uh, preseason power rankings in terms of fighters. We did that, and uh, it was a lot of fun. So I encourage you to check out my last episode. Also, like I said, Alex Show, the Five for Fighting podcast. He is about to have Luke Gazdick on. He is recording on Thursday with Luke. So, um, and he's asking for questions. So hit up. Hit him up on uh, on the Facebooks or the Instagram and uh, drop a question for for Luke and uh, that'll be a real fun fun uh, fun interview. I was a big Gazdick fan, so that'll be cool. So um, and again, check out his uh, YouTube channel with some East Coast League fights on it, the Five for Fighting podcast YouTube channel, as well as my boy Jay out in Iowa D like the letter D skunk like the animal uh, YouTube channel, and he has. Uh, so he's got Lash's Southern Pro League stuff, but he goes back to like the old. He has a he has some. We were actually checking out his back catalog the other night. Oh, he's got some like McIntyre Quad City stuff on there. Some Little John. He's got some really cool old uh, UHL stuff and like yeah. So I highly encourage you to subscribe to that YouTube channel and uh, as well Fourth Line Voice on YouTube. I have over two thousand. Videos on my channel. Uh, all the leagues are, represent, are represented. So whatever league you're a fan of, type it in, and they're all sorted and blah blah blah. Uh, again, subs- I, I I would I'd love it if you subscribe to the channel. And if you happen to watch a fight on my channel or Jay's or Alex that you enjoy, hit the little thumbs up button. Yeah, I know it's a corny deal, but like YouTube loves that shit, and it helps in the algorithms. So yeah, that'd be cool if you could do that. And uh, if you're listening to my show. Or Joe's or Alex, like I said, on the podcast, iTunes or Spotify or whatever platform you listen to it. If you could uh, rate the show, the little star rating there. Um, again, it helps us out in the algorithms. And uh, I always say you're, you're going there to hit play anyway. So if you could just, the star things right above it, just hit that. And uh, that'd be really cool if you could do that. So it would be greatly appreciated. But uh, other than that, folks, I don't have much to say. Uh you know, like I said, I gotta get ready for uh, my vacation here, so I'm gonna be gone for uh, for this week, and uh, I'll be back on Sunday. And um, I was I was going to put uh, I I interviewed John Morasti about four years, 2019, and uh, with of course with Shorzy coming out this weekend, season two, and uh, you know, in his appearance on Spit and Chiglets two weeks ago, and it's kind of like Morasti mania here a little bit. And I was going to jump on the bandwagon and and re-upload my Morasti interview. Um, it's on my if you go back through my back episodes, it's in the I've done 330, so I can't remember. It would be very like one of my first 30 interviews. One of them's Morasti. Um, and that's on my old platform. Like, it's on iTunes and Spotify. You'll have to go way back and look if you wanted to listen to it. But I was just going to re-upload it and stuff just for, like, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then get the Aiken interview out. But um, I went back and listened to it. And, man, I know John was in his car. I can't remember where he was traveling to. And just with the Bluetooth and stuff, uh, the quality just isn't. Like, you can hear him and everything, but it's just, like, the quality isn't really good. 
Um, which, and I couldn't, like I said, after 332 or 34 shows, I couldn't remember. And I went back tonight and I was listening. I'm like, ooh, this is a little rough. It's, it's pretty decent in spots, but then it gets rough again. And I'm like, I don't know if I want to put this out. I don't know. I talked to John a couple of weeks back and we've, we've talked about him coming back on the show anyway. So once I get back from Vegas, I'll talk to him again and I'll get him on and we can talk about Shorezy and, um, Ice Wars and stuff because he's involved in that now. So. Uh, you know, I'm old, I, I kind of want to do his five toughest opponents thing. Maybe we'll do that. So, uh, but anyway, he's already said we'd do it and stuff. We just got to make a time. So, um, yeah, so that'll be coming up in a bit. But, uh, anyway, my guest today, Jonathan Aiken, we talked for a while. Like I said, great guest, been around, uh, talk some fights, talk some old dub stuff. It's pretty cool. So I think you'll dig it. Talks about going to Bruins camp and, Hanging out with Otzi and Ray Ray and the boys, so uh, yeah, I think you'll definitely dig this uh, dig this interview. Once again, I want I uh, I want to thank Jonathan for taking the time to sit down and talk to me for a couple hours, and uh, yeah, it was cool, man. And I hope you guys enjoy it. And uh, I gotta go. I'm off to Vegas, so uh, when I'm down there, we'll have the laptop and stuff, and we're farting around in the room. I'll 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 drop some pictures and uh, you know uh, drop some Vegas updates. Hopefully, it's good news. But uh, follow me on Twitter and Facebook, Fourth Line Voice. Oh, by the way, that's right. I'm actually on Instagram. I finally signed up for Instagram. I have no idea how it works. I have all of one post on there. But fourth, I think one of my Fourth Line THPN on on. Uh, well, I'm sure if you typed in Fourth Line Voice podcast, I'd come up. So um, I think I tried to do it. I I think uh, well, I know I try. I I made a profile like a while back, and then just like never posted anything. And now I can't remember how to get into it and stuff. I looked. I have like a hundred some followers, and I haven't followed anybody. I don't think. But I was like, I think I'm going to try to delete that profile and then just stick with this one, and I'll start using it. So, but I am on Instagram, so check it out. Uh, but uh, anyway, folks, um, yeah, time to get on the big jet airliner. All right, um, I, I can't. I can't even begin to tell you how excited I am uh, to finally have not only to be going to Vegas, of course, but just to have a vacation. Yeah, it's been a long time coming, so I'm really looking forward to it. But uh, anyway, I hope you guys enjoy this uh, my interview with Jonathan Aiken, and uh, yeah, when I get back, hopefully I got I'll have some stories for you. So I'll talk to you guys on Sunday. Thanks, everybody. All right, here on the fourth line voice, I have a special guest, Jonathan Aiken, on the show. Jonathan, how you doing today? Good, Darren. How you doing, pal? Very good. I appreciate you coming on, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna do the deep dive here uh, on your career, and uh, you know, I, you know, we'll timeline it. We'll go through it all here from the American League to the NHL and the highs and lows and everything. But uh, I guess we're gonna start at the beginning. Where were you born and raised, and where did you play your minor hockey? Uh, born in Edmonton, Alberta. Lived and grew up in Sherrod Park. Well, obviously, just a little suburb of uh, of Edmonton. Played my minor hockey through the Sherrod Park Minor Hockey Association, which is now, I guess, separated to Kings Club and this and that. But that yeah, uh, always seemed to come back after leaving for juniors and then pro. And always always seemed to come back to the Edmonton area. Obviously, you know, family stayed here. Uh, yeah. You know, it's a hockey hotbed like, like most of Canada is, so I kind of wonder why you keep coming back, especially when you're, you know, not playing anymore and retired and and uh, living in, you know, minus 40 weather. I kind of 
I have to look at myself in the mirror and say, what were you thinking? But yeah, it, Edmonton born and raised. I, I, every minus 40 morning, I look at my wife and tell us as we sit here in Saskatoon saying, what are we thinking? But here we are. <laughs> but, um, yeah. well, and just, well, just growing up, I mean, you know, six, four, two twenty, you're a big dude, uh, physical guy when you played, um, you know, on the, uh, playing D there, uh, growing up, were you kind of always like, you know, a physical kid or did that kind of, you grow into that sort of? I think, you know, I, I've obviously been the one of the, you know, I wasn't the, always the, the the biggest. I grew steadily. I never had growing spurts where I was like short and then big and short and big or whatever. You know, I was always steadily the bigger, one of the bigger guys on the team. And I guess it just came naturally to, to be that physical. Cause I think, you know, as you, as you start getting to the higher levels of hockey, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't, if you're being a big guy. If you're, you're noticeable, if you're not doing anything, but you're also noticeable when you're, you know, moving the puck and hitting and, and being involved. So you'd rather be the latter than than, than the first <laughs> the kid that's just standing there doing nothing. So I kind of, you know, I had Scottish parents, um, you know, you know, had a, you know, blue-collar parents that worked extremely hard. So they, they always instilled the work ethic and tenacity and, you didn't have to always be the most skilled kid out there, but you better be the hardest working one type thing. So I guess that just kind of came, came with the, uh, on the menu, you know, each and every practice and, and game, you, you kind of put that part, what you can control, right? You can always control the, the shots or the, you know, the passes, but you can always control your effort. And that was always something that we had to do as, as kids in our house. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, while, like you said, you go up through the minor hockey system and of course, uh, you know, being in, in Western Canada, of course, there's the, the WHL Bantam draft. And, uh, of course, in 1993, you were taken 12th overall in the Bantam draft by the Medicine Hat Tigers. Um, I was, I was looking at that in the, in the first round, the 16 guys in the first round, five of them went on to play yourself and four others went on to play in the NHL. So pretty solid Bantam draft back then. But, uh, uh, at that point, because I know, well, I guess the point of my question is, you also played five games in the Alberta Junior League with Sherwood Park. Now, at that point, were you thinking Junior A, I'm going to go to college, or was it, no, I'm playing in the dub? Like, what was the thought no, process there? It, yeah, no, it was, uh, I would have played the whole season as a 15-year-old. Like, obviously, a good, fr- a good friend of mine that we grew up with, obviously, everyone would know Chris Phillips from Fort McMurray, and obviously drafted number one the same year that in my draft year. Him and I were, like, kind of, you know, a one-two punch, if you want to call it, for defense and, you know, young, talented kids coming up through northern Alberta especially. Uh, I ended up getting sick uh, during those tryouts uh, with the Crusaders. And I can't remember exactly what what I got sick with, but I knew there was, like, water, you know, around my heart at that time. So I don't know what it was called, but my mom remembers it quite, uh, like, it was yesterday. And I remember all I remember is being in the hospital you know, having not too good bowel movements in the hospital as a 15, you know, 15 year old kid. And then you're like, what's going on type thing. But, you know, yeah. So I only ended up playing those five games, but um, then I finished the year with the U18 midget team in, in Sherwood Park and did the, uh, had a good year, I guess, you know, you, you, you look back at it now and you talk to your buddies that you played with. It was, um, you know, obviously they're saying, well, you were always the guy that they were putting you out there. And you, and I don't really remember, recall that. I just remember playing and doing the thing that you do. But yeah, it would have been nice to, to play as a 15 year old. And, but I wasn't thinking NCAA at all. Like it was all Western Hockey League. And obviously that, 
that time, it's still like that, you know, where you have a lot of everything's in your face with the Western Hockey League with the scouts and going around the, all the rinks and you don't have the NCAA front and center back then anyways. Right now you have showcases and everything else that these uh, um, schools go to. So back then it was, yeah, it was always Western Hockey League. And I remember, you know, you know, he get a, a letter in the in the mail, you know, after, yeah, he got a phone call from Dennis Polonich, who was our GM, at the time in Medicine Hat, and he's like, "Congratulations, we've selected you." And you know, and you're like, my dad was more happy than doing backflips down the hallway than than I was. You know, like I was extremely happy, but it's like, no, it's, it's it works to start now, right? To prove yourself that you can live up to the hype or live up to that selection. So yeah, it was uh, it was always it was WGL or bust for for me at that time. Well, let's well let's get into it, right? So here we are, ninety four, ninety five. You're sixteen years old. You you roll into medicine. Well, that's another thing too. It's pro- that you know you're not really going that far from home. You know you're staying in Alberta. You're going to Medicine Hat. Looking at the roster at the time that year, ton of Alberta guys on that roster. So I'm sure you were probably fairly familiar with a few of these guys. Um, how was that first camp at sixteen? You know, here you are, the big. You know the big first overall pick in the draft, big dude coming in playing D, and uh, and I mean those WHL camps back then that was Thunderdome, man. You were fighting for your life sometimes. How did that first camp go? Well, you made the team obviously, but how was that first initial training camp and going in and getting your feet wet in Medicine Hat that year? Oh, I remember like obviously at the end of my my year, I kind of I'll go back a bit further to when they when I went up to Medicine Hat uh, at the towards the end of the year after my. You know, the AJ or my stint with, with the Crusaders and obviously U18, I went down there and practiced with the guys and watched a, a couple games as the season came to a close for them down there. And it was like, I remember Justin Hawking was the, I think he was a captain. Obviously, I don't know. I can't remember if he was 19 that year and then going pro the Knicks or if he was playing as a 20-year-old. But I just remember walking into the, the dressing room and it's like, He's coming out of the shower butt naked and, you know, you know, doing what they do out of the shower, right? And he's like, hey, nice to meet you. He's got his hand after he's touching him, cleaning himself off. He's like, do I shake this guy's hand? And he's, as he's standing there butt naked and I'm 15-year-old kid just like in awe of, you know, you know, being in the surroundings that I was in. So that was my first impression of the guys going <laughs> down there. Uh, it, was, it was like, holy shit, these are guys, these are men, right? Like yeah. 19, 20 year old young men. So it was like, yeah, I got, I still have a lot of work to do here. And, um, you know, but yeah, my first camp, it was obviously at Josh Green, Rocky Thompson, uh, Jeremy Schaefer, Mark Polak, uh, uh, Henry Cooster. We had some, you know, Stacy Roost was the captain at the time there. And it was, um, you know, seeing him play and, and it was just, you know, it, it was like, you're like, well, man, I, I'm here, but I, I got to perform. So you always had that in the back of your mind. You didn't want, but at the same time, you're coming in, you're like, oh, you don't want to piss anyone off. You don't want to run a guy and, you know, be physical. And, but then at the same time, you said, well, you have to make an impression, uh, you know, in some shape or form. And that, you know, what easier impression can you do is hit a guy or, or be physical on a guy or take his, you know, a good defensive play and then, you know, strip the puck off and or whatever. So I remember Stacy was a pretty intense guy. And I, I remember rubbing him out a little bit, maybe a little bit too hard for his liking at the time. Right. Cause he was a 19, 20 year old, very uh, gifted offensive player. <laughs> he didn't take it too well. And he, you know, usual ends up slashing you know, like, Hey, watch your, watch who you're touching type thing. Right. So that was my really first impression 
of uh, of main camp in in my first my first WHL camp. It was it was or I guess it would have been my second in, in the sense of going as a 15 year old kid, right? But going into my first season, that was uh, it was it was game on. Absolutely. Well, and I mean, there there's obviously. Uh, you know, here are the fourth line boys being the kind of the pro fight show and everything else. I got to ask you because, of course, he went on to legendary minor league status. And I remember watching him obviously play junior here in Medicine Hat. But uh, Rocky Thompson, what, like, they don't get much tougher than old Rocky Hockey. What was it like? Uh, how was he to be around? And, and uh, did he kind of... You know, met, did you kind of give you any pointers or anything? I mean, being the boxer and everything. What was your experience with Rocky? Uh, Rocky, real class act. Like he was, he was such a genuine guy. And I'm not just saying this because of where he is right now. Um, you know, doing the coaching thing, he's very smart, right? Like, I think Clearly. you find a lot yeah. of these guys that were in that position as you as you see it now. Very, very smart with uh, the game. And, you know, being a boxer, you know, golden gloves and stuff, obviously, you know, he wasn't the biggest guy. And, you know, he fought guys that were, you know, probably 10, 15 pounds, 20 pounds on him. But he was so smart and, you know, was able to throw both left and right. Um, so that, you know, you, you, after practice, you sit there and you're like, well, who can you talk to and kind of get some help? Because, you know, getting in that first fight where you're taking your helmets off at that time and squaring off with a guy, uh, you know, it's, 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 you get the, the butterflies in there, right? Yeah. You're a little bit nervous. You don't, you know, getting a punch in the head is one thing, you know, in comparison to throwing the punch, right? So you would rather keep throwing them than getting hit. So he, he, he was more than, uh, more than a great teammate to, to help in that fact. And obviously having him on your, on your team, it gave you that extra confidence knowing that you can play your game and not worry about any repercussions because he's one taught you how to, you know, teach you a couple pointers here and there to help you hold your own. And obviously if something, you know, got a little bit out of hand as a 16 year old, he was there to, to help, you know, you know, be behind you and, and support you. You know, absolutely. And, uh, you know, and, and that, and the WHL that, I mean, it was always, but that mid nineties, like there was killers on like every team, like every team had guys that it was just like stacked up and, you know, all the, every team, every road, every, uh, barn you went into, there was, you know, guys waiting and, um, but you guys had a tough team. I mean, you know, you had, uh, you know, Rocky and of course, um, uh, Clint Cabana, um, yeah, you know, Blair St. Martin. There's another guy, oh, Doctor Blair St. Martin. Nowadays, but uh, he's a pretty tough dude for being uh, undersized. He could really go. But there's a name I got to ask you about. He only played a couple games there, and the stories of him are sort of legendary. Of course, he went on to set the all-world penalty minute record in the SJHL with 700. But do you remember Calvin Crow? Yes, yes, I do. Calvin Crow. Yes, I do. Yeah. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was a piece of work. Great guy, great team guy. Like like everyone that I come across in in hockey, like teammates, especially like you know, they're all great guys, good people. You know, just obviously, you know, when you're going through, you know, when you can, you know, indulge into the into the alcohol and, and beer and whatever, as you have your team parties and you have these, you know, you have the characters, right? You always have that one or two guys that are just know how to get a party started and know how to entertain people. And, you know, obviously Rocky was one of them where he would always be, you know, the, the storyteller and, you know, the laugh and the joke. And then you have Calvin that was kind of did the more 
physical stuff that I can re- that I can re- vaguely remember. But yeah, he was he had that always that dumb look on his face. Like, what do you mean? Like, uh, I just I this is just me. You know, he kind of like the old bobblehead, right? Just kind of <laughs> so yeah, great guy. Yeah, I was. I could just imagine, you know, like he was, it was a short cup of co- cup of coffee with men and that, but yeah, it was uh, one to remember for sure. That's a blast from the past. That name for sure. Absolutely, of course, he got traded over to the Seattle Thunderbirds and uh, had some great tilts in Seattle when he was there. Him and Dale Purington like just hammer each other uh, later that year. But uh, big dude, tough guy. Yeah, seven. How do you get seven hundred and twenty three penalty minutes in one season? Yeah. In Nipawin in the SJHL, there you go, folks. That's the most penalty minutes you'll ever hear about. But uh, I'd love to get a, I'd love to get a hold of that guy and get him on the show. But um, uh, well, like you said, and it, it's uh, you know, it's a well. I was you, like you talk about, you know, now all of a sudden, back then it was in the WHL. It was you know, pop the helmets, we're squaring off, and let's go. And and obviously, you have butterflies. Um, I'm going to test your memory here. Uh, I got it here in front of me. Do you remember who your first Western Hockey League fight was against? Oh, it was in Medicine Hat. It was against Moose Jaw, if I remember correctly. But I cannot put the name to the face right now. Well, maybe, I'm, maybe you. Well, the, the what I have in front of me is December 28th in Lethbridge against Byron Ritchie. Well, that could have been a close second, but I always, I always thought I had it was a, we were at home in the old uh, medicine hat. But Byron Ritchie, yeah, he, he was a guy that can play, and he, yeah. he just didn't know what he was going to do. Hence, why he was able to play in the NHL for the number of years that he uh, that he did. But yeah, he was a, uh, you know, I had the reach on him, I had the height on him, but yeah, it was. I remember that fight for sure, and it was you know. Then you had not only him, but you had all those other guys. Some big uh, D-men and uh, Brent Sopel was playing on that team as well, um, and everything else. So yeah, it was yeah, he was a tough customer for sure. Yeah, good well, way that, to break it in. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, well, another fight you had was uh, here at Sat. Well, what was in Madison Hat, but against the Blades was uh, Shane Calder. Yeah, he was. Yeah, there's there's man, there's some of these names like. You, you know, you remember, you remember the fight, but you don't remember the names. And then all of a sudden, when like yourself, you just say the name and say, "Yeah, I remember." <laughs> and you know, you had Wade Belak. You had, I think Sobel was on that team first, and then he was traded to um, uh, Lethbridge when they made that run a couple years later and stuff like that. But yeah, you know, you had always, you know, then you had. I remember we would always go into Saskatoon, and it was either you know Rocky fighting these guys, and you know you had to step up and help out. Uh, you know, just not to let him have to carry all that weight. But then you're also worrying about how we want to score goals because they had the old Mark Dale and Frankie Bantam um, duels getting, you know, Frankie was obviously the, the, the trigger man and then Dale was always a setup guy and they had to have five, six points each by the end of the night when we played them, especially my first year. So it was, uh, <laughs> it, it, was a, it was a blast playing against them. Obviously harder to play in Saskatoon, but, you know, it was it was good good competition when we were playing them at home. Well, yeah, it's just like just looking like you said. You go into Saskatoon. Well, you look at Saskatoon's roster at the time. Like you said, you had Clark Wilm, Rhett Warner, Ryan Tobler, uh, Wade Belak, Lee Sorokin, Chris McAllister, Mike O'Grady. Like, yeah, it, it, that's a long night right there. I mean, it uh, you know it's pretty tough dudes rolling through Saskatoon and. Um, you know, um, one one uh, 
while obviously you get traded there later, but in Brandon, of course, you had like, uh, you had like Dingman and Wade Redden and, uh, what was it like, uh, well, Darren Van Owen and, and stuff like that, uh, you know, in, in Brandon, um, PA, right? You have Paul, he- Shane Toporowski and PA and, it just goes on and on about, uh, you know, you're uh, in the East Division there, just stacked up. Um, overall, in your in your first year, how do you like? How did you think it went for you? I think it was a it was a good learning how to play your game, and obviously in that that day and age, you know, you had to be because you're six four. You know, I think I was made. You know, I was big, a bigger kid for a six year. I was probably close to two hundred nine hundred ninety pounds, hundred ninety five pounds. Like most kids that are going in as a six-year-old are maybe 180, 185. So you get 10 pounds. But, you know, as you play throughout the year, you drop a little weight, right? So you, yeah, I think it was learning how to manage your, 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 uh, you know, your, your performance, right? Like it's always, you know, it's working with kids nowadays, uh, you know, with the agency thing, and you know, you're trying to prepare them and and really tell them like, hey, this is, you think you're working hard, but you gotta you're gonna have a huge eye opening when you're when you're going against kids that are you know potentially if you want to play as a 16 year in the Western Hockey League, you know, you're going to go against 19, 20 year old men, right? And you have to you have to have that physicality, maturity to to your you know, which doesn't it comes naturally, you know, yeah, you can help along with working out and stuff like that, but. That was the biggest thing for me was actually knowing like, hey, you know, I got to really, you know, work out and, and gain some strength, not so much the size, but the strength. And that yeah. was, you know, overall, I thought it was, you know, I didn't score any goals that year. I had five assists and, you know, I think I had 75, 80 pims or whatever it was. And, um, you know, you know, I obviously had a, you know, you know, probably five, six fights in there. So that was good for penalty minutes in the sense of a 16 year old, you know, you're not taking a lot of minor penalties. Most of them were all majors so um i think it was it was a good learning experience for sure um i know uh, going into that six year year we had perry Kern as, as our coach so you learn a lot from him you knew it was a one-stop shop for him because he was going off the, the nhl the following year so you tried to soak up as much as you can from a guy that has that's very intellectual with the game and, and, and teaching it so it was it was a good year it was a lot of fun as a six-year-old I never was, never did get homesick, even though I was only five hours away from home. But I never, I was never one of those kids that, well, I don't want to be, you know, too far from home. I was, it just happened to be that way. I wasn't that far, like five hours isn't far. But my parents were flexible enough to come down and, and go on a road trip. So like Blair St. Martin was my uh, roommate uh, with uh, my first billet. And uh, they all, Blair's parents, my parents, and our billets came on the West Coast swing, you know, when we went from PG down to to Kamloops and then to Kelowna and then all through Tacoma. At that time, it was Tacoma. All right, sorry, first year was Tacoma uh, before they moved to, to Kelowna and then obviously Portland. So it was it was fun, not in the very memorable times with with uh, able to share somewhat of the road trip with your with your family, but also majority of the time, obviously with your with the team and everything else. So it was a good year. Uh, well, like you said, you were rooming with, uh, St. Martin there, uh, billeting with St. Martin. Did you, did, uh, obviously, you know, going on to become a surgeon, um, did you, uh, did you, did you see that back in the day? Was he pretty, uh, obviously he was, schooling was a big priority to him. Um, what, what was he like? What was hanging out with him like he, playing? Blair was, Blair was a great, great, uh, 
great roommate, you know, very smart. And he helped me with my homework. You know, great well, I was going to say, like, yeah, that's the guy you want helping you with your stuff for sure. Yeah. Like he helped me out when I, when I asked, like, you know, and, you know, but it, it came natural for him, you know, like he was so, he went to school, like it was just something that boom, 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 just came to him. He was really, really very, very educated uh, young guy at that time. And, you know, you try and use him as much as you can to help, you know, and I wasn't, I wasn't a road scholar. I'd worked hard for, you know, 70, 75, low, low 80s were my highest marks, but he was, you know, he was in a whole different league than I, than I was at that time. You know, he was already graduated, you know, I think a year earlier. I don't remember him, you know, doing a lot of homework. I just remember him getting a lot of good, good marks. So yeah, you know, I used him a lot. And he was, um, yeah, in a good way, in the sense to help me out and how to study and how to do all those types of things. So it was, it was really, really a good first roommate billet situation, as you call it. Um, you know, for my first year, it was, it was a lot of fun with, with Blair. No, absolutely. Well, of course, the next year, of course, this is a big year coming up here. You're, you're coming in, you're 17, you, you know, you played the seat, you got a season under your belt, you know, NHL draft, you're going to start having the scouts coming around and on all that's going to start amping up. Um, you know, like you said, six goals this year, 131 minutes and penalties. Was that, uh, like a conscious decision, like effort on your part to like, okay, I got to, you know, maybe step it up a little more physically. I mean, you had, you know, five fights and like, was that a, was that a con- decision on your part? Not initially. Like I went like that summer. Like I knew I had to do something different. Like for for you know, obviously, you know, you want to make sure that you're going in there as prepared as you can. You know, hockey wise. So I, I was in. Uh, I went over to the Czech Republic and I stayed with a family in Kladno, which is obviously now like it was always uh, the Army Jagger's hometown. Uh, now he obviously owns the team and they're still playing there. But I, I, I practiced with the pro team there for two weeks, did the off the off ice stuff with them, and and I came back. And it was the two weeks right before I ended up going to training camp. I think I ended up being maybe a day or two behind uh, with a couple delays in, in my travel plans. But um, I felt way better getting into camp hockey wise. I may have not hit the gym. I did hit the gym. Don't get me wrong. Uh, and training that way, but I think I paid more attention, you know, especially the two weeks leading up to um, up to camp was every day on the ice and really just feeling I had to get ahead of the curve, you know, instead of feeling, you know, training camp mode, your your you know your regular season mode type pace to your game. So I think that gave me a little bit of a head start, but the physicality part just came, you know, it's not like yeah, you know, you're playing against some certain guys that you know you're going to have to maybe answer the bell. And you, you know, you get nervous. Right? You kind of maybe get a little bit sidetracked of what you really want to do out there and just play. You have to, you know, let, let's just get it over and done with. Let's ask to get it. Let's go with, and get it done. And then you can focus on the game. Uh, so there's a few games like that for sure within that schedule that, you know, you have to take care of business first and then you kind of let the, the nerves settle and, and just play the game. Well, and there's a, there's a couple names that I want to ask you about. And it was obviously on your, on your road trip out there. Cause it was in December 8th and then December 15th, a couple of your, your tilts. One, the first one in Prince George, you fought Sheldon Surrey. Do you remember that one? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that one. That was, he was a man among boys at that time. Like <laughs> yeah. Sheldon was always a big man, but I think he was. He was like a freaking Greek god when you you know out, off the ice and you know obviously <laughs> he was a he was a tough tough customer for sure and you know I just remember 
you know, just all right, just you just hope for the best. <laughs> you know, at that point, you know, you're you're a younger kid that's you know trying to make a, an impression, you know, and on the scouts and saying, yeah, you know, he's a big kid that can you know play the game, but obviously he's not scared to to tangle up against guys that obviously that would which would make them impress, right? You're not going against another 16 or 17 year old to really make a statement. You're going up against a guy that's obviously NHL caliber ready. Um, at that time, he was, you know, like I said, a man among boys. So you kind of, you know, I don't know if it was planned that way. If I, you know, I don't remember exactly, but I just remember just reacting and going at it and the rest, the rest of this history after that. So you kind of, word gets around the league pretty quick. And then I think it was, you know, you're going down into the Kamloops and, you know, you're, you're more worried about hearing that taking care of business song more so than anything. Cause they, you know, the team that they had down there, you know, then, then going into Kelowna, my second year, you have Scott Parker and uh, Colin Fedoric. You know, it's just some, some you know, real ugly, not, in, you know, just ugly guys that, you, you know, you're going to have to, you know, be very well aware of what, what you're doing on the ice. Yeah, well, yeah, no, absolutely. And that that whole, yeah, and then, you know, um, uh, you know, Portland and, you know, with Tedarenko and those guys there and pop and yeah that was a that was a crazy scene uh out west there in spokane and stuff but uh well one of the guys i mean i know we, we talked about him off the air of course he's a a member of the hockey podcast network old what's it on shorzy ted hitchcock uh terry ryan who uh you did battle with in tri-cities you two dropped the gloves the fight is actually on youtube folks if you want to check it out um what and I and I know Terry. I mean, everybody's heard him on the podcast, and he tells all his stories, and he has his books and everything, and he's very self-deprecating, everything else. But and I I always try to impress upon people, though. I mean, you know, Terry will joke about it and whatever. But when he was in the Western Hockey League, him and Lankow ran show in Tri City. Like he was awesome. Like fifty goals and two hundred minutes and thirty fights. And what was it like playing against him? And uh What's your, uh, what's your, uh, you have any stories of Terry Ryan? Yeah, well, obviously, you know, going into the, into Tri-Cities, you only, you know, at that time, you only played them twice, you know, once at home and yep. um, once at their barn. So, you know, the anticipation was always at a peak. It wasn't like you're playing them six, seven times and you're kind of like, uh, here we go again type thing. So you, you got up for the game and obviously, you know, you're, you know, you're trying to win the game, but you're also, you know, at that time, you're trying to set a tone early on. And if games kind of got out of hand, which they very well could have, you know, playing against Tri-Cities because they had, they were such a formidable opponent with scoring and everything else, and they were tough. And, you know, it's just like, you know, you, you have it. You know, he was drafted the year before uh, to Montreal first round. He made a statement for himself where he can score, fight, do everything. So you're like, all right, here we go, right? You know, and, you don't know, I didn't know him personally at that time. You know, I had friends that I grew up with that were on Tri Cities at the time that would tell me what he was like and this and that. You know, just a crazy Newfoundlander out west, right? So it was like, um, you know, like he wasn't scared of anything. So you're, you know, you're young. You can be influenced quite easily in the sense of how you, how your mindset goes. But yeah, it was something that we wanted to, you know, that I thought, hey, however the game went, if it, if it presents itself, I'm going to take uh, take advantage of it and 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 use that to to benefit you know my stock I guess in my draft year and and see where it went you know and I think from what I can remember it was a, it was a pretty decent fight uh, from what I can remember I'd have to go back on YouTube and watch it again but 
from what I remember, it was a, it was a fair tussle. Um, but I think it was later that year, uh, friends of mine, the, Mike and Mark Hurley, who played on uh, Tri-Cities with Terry, I remember when he signed with Montreal, he bought a Trans Am. Now, I'm getting this secondhand, so I'm, I, no, after I got to know Terry uh, on a personal level, uh, I can see this happening. At the time, I was like, nah, you're full of shit. But it was, he bought a Trans Am at the time, and he drove it until he ran out of gas. And that was like really the first story that I heard of Terry Ryan. And like, what, why the fuck would you not <laughs> put gas in your car? He just runs it right to the ground and, you know, like it's never good to run in. He's probably going about, you know, buck 20, buck 30, whatever he was going on the way back from Tri-Cities to, to Edmonton. I think that's where they were going to um, for the off season and, and runs right out of gas. Like, you're like, how dumb can this guy be? You know, you have to put gas in it. Just because you buy the car, it doesn't mean it comes with endless gas and you don't have to put it in. So that was the first real story that I that I heard of, of, of TR there. But then I, we reconnected, obviously, through O2 Pro. We saw each other. I remember we were in Fredericton when I was playing in Providence. And I remember it was um, uh, playoffs or maybe it was just a league, regular league game up there. And we were, you know, we had some big guys, you know, and we ended up having a scrap in the hallway. Um, the whole team, like they had four, five, six guys in the hallway. We had like Joel Perfect, who was six, seven, six, eight, and he's reaching over with his stick and hitting guys in the head with his stick. And you know, Terry's right in the middle of it too, right? So it was it was always an eventful time when you had Terry Ryan around. Um, so fast forward it a little bit to about 2010 ish. Um, he was back out from in Edmonton, and he uh, just came back from Newfoundland. Came back from Newfoundland, and he did a TV show because he got to, to a point where he was, I think, two hundred thirty, two hundred forty pounds. Get, don't correct, don't quote me on the weight, but he was fat and out of shape. And he went on a TV show in Newfoundland, a weight loss competition, and he ended up winning it. And he was showing me this picture where, where you know, at some place in, in Edmonton, and. He's like, yeah, I won this because I said, like, fuck, last time I saw you, you're terrible shape. You couldn't even probably skate or run a, a mile if your life depended on it. He says, yeah, you know, I, I got into this show and I lost, I, I lost all this weight, and I'm back at my fighting weight, etc. So what he does to celebrate, Darren, is he goes, calls the cab, and shows me this. He says, I call, I call a cab, I get in the cab, I go down to George Street in Newfoundland, right in St. John's. And, you know, if everyone knows Newfoundland or St. John's specifically, George Street is, you know, a place to party and, and it's, it's all pedestrian, no cars and everything else. So it's a, it's a great place to, to go have a beer or two. He's stark naked. He's got running shoes on. He, and he showed me a picture on his, on his phone. He's butt naked in the bar. <laughs> like doing the old Captain, Mor- the Captain Morgan stance. On, on the bar. I was like, you got to be shitting me. Like, how, who, who can do, thinks of this? And obviously only, where can this ever happen? Only in Newfoundland, I guess, right? So it was like, you're, you're just shaking your head. You're like, did I just see this? And you're like, is this Photoshopped or what? But it was not. And it's like, you know what? That's Terry Ryan to a T. He has, he does not care what other people think. And he, I think, you know, that, that's what makes him, Terry Ryan. <laughs> He's a unique so, dude. Yeah. yeah. Any, anything for the story, right? Yeah. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. What a, what a character. Um, 
Well, yeah, like you said, uh, you know, you you know, uh, yeah, pretty so. You have a solid season. Um, as the year is going on, I mean, obviously there's scouts around, and you know, obviously you have an agent and whatever. But um, what what's the what's the word? Are 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 they telling you like, hey, man, you're going to be, you know, you're you're looking like potential first round or like what were you hearing? I was hearing, you know, late sec, late first round, early second, and all the, you know, like every team has their own wish list and needs and whatnot. But the teams that I talked to, they were all, they they all liked my game, and obviously, uh, I remember uh, having an interview with San Jose, and it was down in Calgary. They had a bunch of us down in Calgary, and I remember the head scout was asking me, like, "Do you think you're ready to play in the NHL next year?" and as an 18-year-old, I said, naive as I was at that time, I said, yeah, I, I think I could make a run at it, <laughs> you know, knowing that I, I was probably a few years away. But you never know what happened. You have a big offseason timing and all that kind of stuff. You never know. So he kind of he laughed at me and said, well, you don't think you're ready. I don't personally think you're ready. And I said, yeah, fair enough, right? So, you know, I think whoever you talk to, you know, they're all, you know, late first round, early second you know, and obviously it, it just came to, to fruition that it was ended up, you know, I wasn't even paying attention at the draft at that time. I was sitting beside my cousin, who's a twin from New Zealand, and she was out visiting us, and she was down in St. Louis for the time, and, and we were just talking away, and those, you know, first seven picks go, and then all of a sudden, you know, Boston's up, and they call my name, and I didn't even think Boston, I knew Boston had, some interest Gordy Clark was the head scout at the time and when I was there in my last interview in St. Louis and um none of they had a bunch of guys in the corner there they had maybe only two or three guys asking me questions you know when you kind of you know you're in that you know in those conference small conference rooms and no one really seemed interested besides Gordy and a couple other guys and it was a you know 15 20 minutes you come out and they thank you and then gordy came out in the hallway and said hey john and just you know just enjoy the rest of your night and you know everything will work out tomorrow and best of luck to you and you know hope to see you soon and this and that right and, and never i was very polite so thank you very much mr clark i appreciate your time and this and that and i wasn't even thinking like you know no one's really interested no one else is really interested so when you don't have a lot of people that are asking you questions in your interviews you think well they, they, not you know maybe a couple of guys are interested but they kind of get overruled in the sense of who they want to pick and then yeah then they pick and then i was like oh i bet that that's that's me and then i get up and you know do the hugs to the family and handshakes and make my way down and uh yeah it's a, so yeah you did, but yeah i was a little bit surprised but obviously ecstatic at the same time, but it was like, Oh geez, that's a, that's a big jump from going late round, late first round, early second to top 10. Yeah. Well, absolutely. And I mean, well, it go, well, just to go back to Terry Ryan for a second, I mean, obviously he tells the famous draft story interview with him and Mike Milbury. Um, did you have anything? I don't know if you've heard it, but him and Milbury kind of got into it and whatever. And, he was just kind of smarted off to him or whatever, but like, did you have any like really weird interviews or like somebody kind of just do some weird shit? Like, or was it all pretty straightforward? It was, it was actually, yeah, it was that. No, actually my, my one before my draft year, it was, it was fine. Like, I didn't have any weird ones. I know LA, there's a lot of chaos going on and, and, and uh, I'm trying to remember who it was. I can, it was uh Tim Taylor. I know. Uh, was it Taylor? 
if I'm, I think it was Taylor, uh, not Tim Taylor, but uh, the GM at the time or the oh. assistant GM at the time. Dave Taylor? Uh, Dave Taylor, thank you, yes. And he's like, yeah, I don't even know. I can't remember what was going on. There's a lot of chaos going on in there. He said, I feel, you know, this young gentleman's here. Like, we got this shit going on. Like, what the, like, what are we doing here? We're like, look like we're a bunch of, you know, Mickey Mouse, this bullshit around here. Yeah, we're from LA, but we're not Mickey Mouses or whatever the comment was, right? And that was really the only one off. But the one that I had that was really strange was the year before, it was in Edmonton. And obviously, uh, my agent, uh, was his local to, was local to Edmonton, and his clients that he had coming in were you know some Czech players, Slovak players, and this and that. And I ended up he asked if I could help out with getting them there to their interviews. So I remember taking Peter Sikora, Pavel Trinka, uh, Yogi Svetkovsky was around there as well. And I remember going to the Fairmont Hotel McDonald in Edmonton, and I remember going up the stairs and you know, just waiting for the guys and showing them where to go or whatever. And I can't remember exactly the team. It could have been Washington, but don't quote me on it. But I go in there, they say, yeah, we know who you are. Come on in. And I'm sitting here and I just got my shorts and T-shirt on. And this older guy is like rubbing my shoulders, right? As he's standing behind me and I'm sitting in this chair and he's, you know, he's kind of like, you know, you give your wife a, a massage on the shoulders and the neck and everything else. And I'm like, He's kind of weird. What's this guy doing? I think he's just an old pervert or whatever, right? And it's like, ah, this guy's going to be, a, he's going to fill out real nice, right? And he does that, and then he then he walks away. I'm like, all right, thanks. I didn't know you were able to, to see how I'm going to fill out in three, four years by just by rubbing my shoulders and my neck. So that was the odd, only really the odd time that I remember any time of interview, but it wasn't even my interview, to be yeah. honest with you. Well, you, yeah, you go well. You go eighth overall to the Bruins. Um, well, so of course, you know, we head into the fall. I mean, I'm assuming you obviously went to Bruins camp. Um, how how was that? I mean, uh, to to go into that setting with uh, you know uh, Steve Casper's the coach at the time, but just to be in an NHL camp, like what what's the and sitting in that locker room? That's got to be surreal. Yeah, no, it was, I remember that first camp and I, I was having a good camp, you know, um, I would just remember a pivotal moment in an exhibition game against Pittsburgh in Worcester, Massachusetts. And I remember, I don't know who the guy was, but he was a big guy. He's maybe, you know, he's obviously he was old, older than I was. He was probably mid twenties or whatever, big guy. And, you know, back, you know, we're always in juniors, you're always taking your helmets off to score off. So, you know, I'm having a game, moving the puck well. I feel pretty good. And then all of a sudden, I think I was in the second period. Um, this guy taps me on the, on the, he said, let's, let's fucking go. I'm like, yeah, all right, here we go. So then I take my lid off. I back off and take my lid off, drop the gloves, take my lid off. And the guy's looking at me like, what's this fucking guy doing, right? And he kind of looked at me and looked around. and like, all right. So then he paused a couple seconds, takes the helmet off. And uh, we get in there, and nothing really comes in. It was kind of a shit fight, to be honest with you. And I remember in between periods, going into the third period, I remember Adam Oates was saying, hey, kid, yeah, keep the helmet on. These guys hit too hard if you take your helmet off. So I never took my helmet off when I screwed up. Obviously, you didn't have a visor on at the time either, so you just kept your helmet on and just went at it that way. So that that's I think that was a pivotal moment in my first camp as a rookie, my first camp ever, and 
I think that could have been, if, if I had a good fight, I, I, maybe as small a detail as it was, I think it could have made a bigger impression. I think I could have stayed a little bit longer um, with with Boston, and who knows? You know, who knows what could have happened after that? But I think that was a very pivotal moment in my training camp, uh, my first camp. My second camp, it was, you know, I remember in practice, the pivotal moment where it was Adam Oates was in front of that, and I'm, you know, kind of boxing him out a bit. And I remember Pat Burns, obviously, was the head coach that year. He's standing up with uh, Mike O'Connell and, and uh, Harry Sinden and the coaching staff kind of at that end. And I remember Oates turns around and fucking two hands me in the shin pads. Like not the back leg, right in my shin pads. So it didn't hurt. But it was just the motion of him doing that. And I didn't do anything. I'm like, well, this is Adam Oates. You know, he's an all-star, you know, going to be a future hockey hall of famer. And am I, what am I going to do to this guy? He doesn't fight. He doesn't do anything. So I just let it happen. I didn't do anything. And I think that was two pivotal points in my first two camps where I was like, I should just, Regardless of who it was, Adam Oates or Jason Allison or Anson Carter at that time, you know, they were all there. It's like you have to take – you can't let these guys take advantage of you regardless if, you know, because at some point in time they were in your position and they would have done – you know, if a vet did that to them, they would have done something and stood up for themselves, right? So, you know, knowing what I know now, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, like that first year, like you said, you're there with Oates and like Ray Bork and Rick Tockett and Odgers and Chanouth and all these guys. Um, how, well, in your defense, how, did you, did you get to spend a lot of time with Bork? Did he talk to you or did he, uh, you're the rookies and he's the vet and like, did they, did any of the guys big league year or were they all pretty cool with you? No, they're, I think Jason Allison, you know, after the year he had, he was, you know, kind of, talky, you know, driving the Ferrari into camp and this and that, right? So you never really gave the rookies or the guys a really time of day. You know, you know what's you know, you know what's funny? You're the second person on this show that has said that. I'm trying to think who the other guy was, and he didn't like Allison. He was like, ah, oh, he's a goof. You know, I, I can't, who was it now? Anyway, sorry to interrupt you. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, no. So, yeah, you just, you know, obviously he, he had a real good year, you know, before the trade from Washington. And, but yeah, it was what it is. You're just like fucking arrogant guy, whatever. But, you know, he's, he got what he got. And, in the, in the sense of reward for the, how well he played leading up to that contract. But yeah, but leading up to the, you know, I'm getting the bus, I'm getting the shuttle from the, from Logan airport to, to our hotel for training camp. And, uh, one of the scouts, he, the Western scout for, for Boston, he's like, yeah, you're, guess who your roommate is? I'm like, well, I have no idea. He says, Ray Bork. I'm like, get the fuck out of here. Right. Like, but there I am thinking that I'm going to be sharing a room with Ray Bork. Right. And, Lo and behold, he doesn't stay at the hotel. He stays at home and everything else, right, with his family and everything else. But he did call me, uh, you know, uh, you know, over the first course of the first couple of weeks of training camp, probably six, seven times, checking in. Hey, how you doing? Just making sure you need me to come and tuck you in. Kind of being funny about it, but also like just being sincere and asking, Hey, are you, you doing all right, kid? And this and that. And so that felt really cool to to have him call the hotel and, and checking in on you type thing. Right. So, but I, and the bonus was I had the room to myself. Oh <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. And then I know Rick talk, it was really good. I remember we went out, uh, Ray Bork took us all out for a bunch, a few of us, three or four of us out for lunch after practice one day. And, uh, I remember talk, it came and he, you know, these guys are driving their cars and, you know, I know, um, Bork was all about the BMWs at the time and, 
maybe he still is. But yeah, it was um, it was uh, he was a class act, you know, like he was just a class act. And um, Jeff Rogers, obviously, you know, I don't have to tell you what he what kind of guy he is. A stand up guy, great teammate. Um, from what I can remember uh, of him for that short period of time that we spent together, but. Um, but yeah, out of them all, like I know the young guys that were coming in their prime, like the Allison and Hanson Carters and all that kind of stuff, they were a little more, you know, who are you type guy. You're, you're not, you haven't made it, so we're not going to talk to you type thing, right? So, um, which I'm sure things changed for them as they got older and more mature in, in their careers as well. Yeah. Well, uh, so you have your first camp. Um, you, you, you go back to junior, uh, but you don't go to Medicine Hat. You go to Brandon. Um, what happened there? Did you ask to get traded or what, how'd you end up with the Wheat Kings? Yeah, it was, it was going back. Cause obviously we had my first year, we had Perry and two assistants with Perry. They all got, well, obviously Perry moved on to, uh, to pro and the other two never came. They never renewed contracts. And then he brought in Brad McEwen, who we thought at the time, like, you know, yeah, he's stuck in, it was like a real step down from Perry Pern at that time. And two two local guys came in as assistant coaches. They were all fired by Christmas time. And then we had Joe uh, Canali, a uh, French guy. Out of, in that time, when they hired him, he that became he became the very first coach to coach in all three major junior leagues. So uh, he was a one man show. No assistants, from what I can remember. It was just him for the rest of the year, and it was just a shit show. Um, from what I can remember. So I kind of asked for the trade um, during the summertime heading into before I headed into camp. And I remember it was between uh, Brandon and Spokane at the time. And lo and behold, Mike Babcock was uh, the, the head coach in Spokane at the time. And they were hosting the uh, Memorial Cup the, the following year, if I remember correctly. And I was kind of hoping you know, Spokane, Washington, or Brandon, Wheat, or Brandon, Manitoba. I'm like, I'd like to go down to Spokane, you know, obviously playing a couple of years in the East, Eastern Conference. You're like, oh, it's changed up. You know, the West is, you know, BC, Northwest, USA, and all that kind of stuff. A little bit nicer scenery, right? But, yep. no, I get traded to to uh, to, minute, to to Brandon and Bobby. And it was probably the best thing for me, um, hockey-wise, uh, going there with Bobby Lowe's and Kelly McCrimmon and, uh, the team that we had there, Peter Schaefer, Darren Van Owen, Dar- Dorian Attic, Justin Kurtz. Uh, you know, we had a real good team uh, that year. And I think we, we finished first in the conference. Uh, you know, we just, we dominated. Obviously, we, we fell into uh, against Moose Jaw that, that first round of playoffs and outshot them. I don't know how many shots. Like, we had over 70 shots for the six games we played. And, uh, Don, Donovan Nunweiler was the guy that, that was their goalie, and he ended up standing on his head for six games, and they beat us four games to two. But they they're like close games, three two one, three two, four two, something like that, from what I can remember. Uh, but yeah, Brandon was uh, Bobby Lowe's was 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 really good for me as as a coach in my development, and obviously Kremer was a big part of that as well. Yeah, well, I know that season, you know, you ramped it up, 200 minutes of penalties, you had 12 tilts, um, you know, you guys are rolling. Um, I just got to ask you about a couple guys in the team. Well, one guy I've got to ask you about, and of course, he's the old, he's friend of the show, and uh, old Les Borsheim, and yeah. 
Hey, he was the he was a cat that I got a hold of. I told him you were coming on the show, and um, yeah, he was just like, "Oh man, he's uh, he played a he played a mean game, fought some big boys." He goes, "I remember him cruising around Brandon in a Porsche. Probably, I probably played some of my best hockey with him as a D partner in '98 when we went to the championship finals. We were on the ice against Hosa, who was the best player I ever played against. Uh, but uh, we lost four straight. But I'm looking forward to hearing from uh, from Jonathan on your show. So, yeah, old Les Borsheim. What was it like playing with Big Les? Uh, he was he was a class, you know he just he was just a guy that just had no fear. You know, like I I honestly believe that like Les didn't you know he he he, he acted he reacted instead of thinking about things or something. And, then, and trust me, in that in that part of the game, that's probably the best thing to have, where you just don't think, you just you just go and and get after it. But Les was a lot more talented than I think a lot of people realize. The kid could, the guy could skate really well. He, he may not have been flashy, but he could skate and make passes and he could hit like a truck. And he, and he was built like a brick shithouse as well. Like he was, you know, no neck less. You know, it was <laughs> yeah. a few times I, I told him that, right? He was such a, you know, he, he was big into the gym and everything else. But um, yeah, I remember, you know, we were we were against that Hosa line, and uh, Robinson was the other was the centerman on that line. I can't remember the. I'd have to look back at the, whoever the third guy was on that on that line. But yeah, Losey put a lot of uh, you know a lot of onus on us to just be. We have to be uh, really hard on these guys. Take you know, be be fucking mean and, and tough, and you know, like obviously being in the championship uh, against them, you know, we bust it out. Like I know it was between Spokane with them hosting it there in game seven against Portland in the Western conference. So we're busting it from branding and we're all of us are like, fuck, come on, Spokane, come on, Spokane. And they're in overtime in game seven. And obviously we got word we're, you know, playing Portland. Obviously they won it in overtime and we're like, mother, you know, we're just like, this sucks, you know, busting it, however many hours it is out to, um, out to Spokane and continued on to Portland and got shit kicked. You know, I ended up having a bunch of fights that game too. Um, you know, myself and Les, I think we had a line brawl as well. Like, you know, I can't remember who was all out there for, uh, for Portland, but yeah, it was, you know, obviously you had your Tedarenko's and Andrew Ference was, you know, on that team as well. And, uh, you know, I'm trying to think of the other forwards well, that we would have been touched with, but yeah, yeah the other, was, the other guy on that line that you were trying to think of, Brendan Morrow. Brandon Morrow, yeah, and and Morrow, obviously, you know, he was like he yep. long career in the NHL, and he played tough as well. He wouldn't back down either. So, yep. you know, it was it was you know it was. But then we fly back. We play two games. We're down two zip, and we fly back. It's like we busted out there. Why didn't we fly it out in the first <laughs> place and rent the bus from Spokane or whatever? We did everything ass backwards at that point. We're like, all was like, why are we flying back and we busted out? We should have flew out and fly back. But uh, we tried to extend it a bit. Uh, was it a four-game sweep? I thought we maybe got one out of the three games at home, but uh, I could be wrong on that. I'd have to look that up again. But yeah, Les was, uh, you know, he was a young, he was a guy that came out of really nowhere uh, in training camp that year that he came in to, to play with us, and he just ended up he was playing forward at first, and then they transitioned him back to defense and with me, and uh, you know, it was yeah, we we we, we created some havoc for sure. You know, but we could also play the game too. Right? So we were, you know, you kind of thought we were, you know, the Chris Prongers of of, of Brandon in the sense of they didn't know what we were going to do. If we're going to slash him, cross check him, fight him, or 
or beat them, you know, with our skating at the same time. <laughs> so it was, uh, yeah, uh, Les is a, Les, it was a good time playing with Les for sure. No, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, he, uh, yeah, less less a good dude. Um, I have to get him back on the show. But um, I I was looking just looking at your fight card here. Uh, you had twelve tilts that one year, and uh, Ryan Anders. You guys you guys had a little feud going. You fought him three times. Uh, yeah, right? yeah. No, I remember that. Uh, I don't. You know, you, you you don't know why. I think you know. It's not like it was planned. You know, but I think. Uh, it just happened to be that way. Maybe he, he just hated me so much that he wanted to, you know, pump me full of, you know, fists <laughs> or whatever. Who knows, right? But uh, I think you kind of grow that hate no matter what, um, you know, but you also, you know, at the same time, you're like, yeah, like, you know, that was a good fight, you no know, good job. And, but yeah, I still fucking hate you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, well, I guess before we get into your final year, and you played the two seasons in Brandon, I guess, but we're kind of jumping ahead with the with all that. But obviously, you go into Bruins camp, your second Bruins camp. Um, I would assume a little more confidence and stuff. But now, like you said, uh, you know, Casper was the coach the first year. Now Pat Burns is the coach the second year. Um, what was your did, what was your community? Did you have any? Because yeah, I mean, you're the first round pick. You're coming in 19. What's his? What's your relationship with Burns? Did he talk to you a lot, or was it like what was he like? Because I mean, you hear the stories and everything, but what what was it like playing for the the late uh, Pat Burns? The the first impre- the first ever words that he gave me. So we're we're at the practice rink. He's having a meeting in the dressing room, and you know, like back in the day, you know, if you're not in the main dressing room. Right. So they had the main dressing room and then they had underneath the stands in the old, their old practice rink, they, they'd have a bunch of stalls. Like they, they weren't cheap stalls. They were just the same as the ones that were in the main dressing room. But you're out of the main dressing room. You knew you were on an uphill battle to really make an impression and, and stick with the team as a, as a, as a, as an 18, 19, 20 year old at that time. So they brought, he brings everyone in and has a meeting before everything gets kind of going in camp and, it was, I don't know, eight o'clock, you know, you get up, you know, you catch the bus and I had, I had long hair, like long hair as not like not the mullet long, but I had like poof, I, my hair was curly. So when I grew it, it if I didn't shower or wet it, it would just be a, a, an astro, like, like a Mike Commodore hair. Yeah. Except not red. And so here I am sitting there, take my hat off because you're taught as a kid to take your hat off when you're inside. So I took my hat and that was a mistake. I remember him walking around talking this thing, and he, he looks at me. and He says, what the "Fuck, Aiken." He's just like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, coach. Yeah, what, what's up?" He says, "Did you have a fight with your pillow last night?" I'm like, "What?" I'm like, "I'm, I'm, I'm totally lost." I, I, I'm like, "What?" He says, "Well, it looks like your pillow won." You know, everyone's laughing. I'm like, "What's what? What's this guy getting on?" Because my hair was a freaking disaster. So that was my first interaction with Pat Burns at that camp. So I'm like, oh, I'm leaving a good impression on this guy. I don't, I didn't even look like I put myself together before coming to the rink and this and that. So that was my first interaction with uh, the the late great uh, Pat Burns. <laughs> so well, he, made, he made a, he made he made everyone laugh at my at my expense. Well, that year, that of course is the big draft year when they take Samson off and Thornton in the first round. Yeah. Um, what was your uh, did you have any interaction with uh, Samson with Thornton and Samsonov? 
Uh, yeah, we, well, I was down in Boston for two years, like, well, two, two summers uh, down there in training with Mike Boyle down at, you know, who was their strength and conditioning guy there yep. for a number of years. And, uh, so when they, so when the draft, that 96 or 97 draft came, I was already down in Boston training and they were putting us up in a, in a house in Newton, Massachusetts. There's a, going to be a few of us and Joel was going to be one of them, um, so they did a big press conference as they came in and introduced Joe and, and Sergey to the media in Boston. And I was there at the press conference. I wasn't on the stage, but Harry was like, yeah, we got the, you know, our first two rounders here, Joe Thornton, obviously in our number one pick, the number one pick and Sergey Samsonov, our number eight pick. And then we also have our 96 first round pick, John Aiken standing in, in here as well. So we just want to, you know, so we had a big press conference and everything else that that summer obviously everyone's you know seeing joe walking down the street and boston is such a great city they're like all the way joe take us all the way right and you're you're standing like you're a psychic because everyone you know is is all about joe thornton which rightfully so um and then um so yeah we had a they rented us a house so there was a guy named joe curran who was harry sinden's right hand man he'd do everything he'd be a chauffeur he'd be essentially he did whatever Joe, uh, whatever Harry wanted him to do, like nothing to do with hockey operations or anything, just kind of do be his mate in a sense and chauffeur. Yeah, <laughs> but he was such the a gopher. Guy. Yeah, he was such a, yeah, and so they rent this house in Newton, Massachusetts, for myself, uh, Joe when he was in town, if he wasn't back in Ontario, um, uh, John Graham, Cameron Mann, Randy Robitaille. Uh, I think there's the five was maybe one other guy, Elias Abraham, some big Swedish guy, uh, Swedish. That's not, he's not blonde. He's brown as can, you know, brown hair as can be. Uh, we stayed in that house for the summer and we trained and, and Joel was our video, was our chef. Essentially he came in, he had like Thanksgiving dinners every night for, you know, every day of the week. And then obviously we'd go out, you know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday nights on the town and, and had our fun that way. But, yeah, like the interaction with Joe and, and more so Joe uh, than than uh, Sergey. Sergey kind of went back. I don't know if he went back to Russia or he went back to Michigan or wherever he was at that time. Uh, but uh, yeah, it was it was it was it was an eventful summer. That summer for sure was very eventful, <laughs> for sure. Well, and and in that camp, um, um, how how did you get into any preseason games at all? The second yeah, year? I got into preseason games. Yeah, I, I played two or three uh, exhibition games that year before they sent me back for my my my. Well, before I guess going down to well, I would have been twenty. I guess if I'm going into my but yeah, I'm going into my third. Camp. Yeah, I was down to then I went down to Providence. Uh, it wasn't the first set of cuts. I think it was the second uh, round of guys that they 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 either sent down to Providence or got guys back to juniors or whatever. So. Yeah, it was you know at that time you're like fuck third time you're you know you're it's not looking too 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 good but you know you're you're going into a very good year like we ended up you know in the American League with Peter Laviolette being our head coach in Providence Bill Armstrong was our player assistant at that time they that was the player part was really short lived for Army <laughs> yeah, I think he only played maybe three games and then he uh, I'm done and he became the full time assistant behind the bench. Um, and we ended up winning, like, including playoffs. I think we won 75 games that year. Um, so as a rookie, you got a lot, you know, you got a good experience. And obviously we had a more successful season that year than 
than the parent team did in, in Boston. Yeah, I mean, you guys win the Calder, and I mean, you know, first year pro, and you're winning the Calder. You're probably, oh, that's pretty easy. I mean, a uh, couple character. I mean, you had Terry Virtue on the team, but one of the guys that comes across, I, I mean, I've never talked to him, but he comes across like quite the character. And of course, he picked up 400 minutes and penalties that year. Was Aaron Downey? Do you got any Downey yeah, stories? Yeah. Oh, Downs is uh, one of the. You know, he's 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 such a he's such a you know you know when you talk about guys like that just know their role and just play it to a role, but they're such a good dressing room guy. They, they, like Downs would have like his shirt on. Uh, you'd have a, you'd have a, you'd roll a towel and put it under his shirt around his neck and he'd be doing fucking squats and hang cleans and jerks and all this stuff before the warm up in game. Cause he knew he was only going to be playing two, three minutes or whatever, but he ended up getting more and more minutes as the year went on just because he was, he became such a, you know, a moment he was able to swing momentum in our favor if we needed it, but I can you always talk you you'd always talk about how he had his class one because big potato farmers right yep. his, his family had a big potato farm in uh in Ontario I'm sure they maybe they still have it I'm not too sure but he uh's just a hard working guy and you know he'd always you know after a night out you know if we're a little bit hung over he he got me onto the sauna cold tub routine right go in the sauna get it right hot like we come in maybe a couple hours before practice if we if we were able to make it that early before practice and really wake ourselves up from being hung over and uh do the sauna and then dump ourselves into the cold tub as cold as again getting little shock therapy pieces that's that's one thing that i learned from downs is how to take care of yourself body wise even if you go out and you'd always say you work hard you party hard aches that's that's kind of what he said that was his motto <laughs> so yeah he's uh he was a he was a he was a great guy. great he's a great guy you know i that's one guy that you uh, you know you try and you know i've tried to get a hold of in the in in the past few years and you're trying to get contact information and stuff so just to kind of catch up and see where he's at and how he's doing yeah absolutely well another tough guy that was on your team he, he played just the 29 games but uh the big man roger maxwell do you remember him mm. Yeah, well, Roger Dodger, yeah, he was, uh, again, all these guys, you know, great teammates, uh, Roger, you know, I remember him, the first game, or within the first couple of games, we were down in New Haven, Connecticut, and if you've ever been down in New Haven, it's a, it's a shithole, um, you know, we, you know, it's downtown especially, um, it was, it was a bit of sketchy, but it was a New Haven beast, so I think that was Flor- uh, Florida's farm team, I think, at that time. Yes, it was. And uh, Peter Warren. Peter Worrell was in the lineup for them as well. And Roger's like, yeah, I got to, you know, obviously he said his few choice words, I'm going to beat up this guy and and you watch me do this, I'm going to do it. And, you know, he got called up, you know, maybe a few days before that, but he had that probably marked in his calendar knowing that he was coming up and that he, and I remember these two guys just keying off on each other. And it was, it was like a bare knuckle event in a sense, because it's like, the, the the buildings aren't like what they were what they are now right it, you know very dungy made of brick or cement or whatever and it was a very dungy arena from what i can remember in new haven and uh they had the worst jerseys ever as well like yeah, they had they like fluorescent green gremlin on it it was it was it was awful but man yeah they had some obviously Worrell was on the line up there and they had some few bunch of tough guys in there right anywhere you went yeah time, and those 
late, 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 uh, early, late, very late, uh, 98, 99 was my first year. So late 90s, early 2000s, up to like probably 2005, 2004, it was no matter where you went, you had you had to have your A game going on because if you got caught sleeping, you're 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 a hurting unit for sure the next day. Well, one fight you had that year was actually your last fight that season was in the playoffs against Hartford against PJ Stock. How did that fight go? Well, a couple lefties, that's for sure. I remember, you know, like uh, I think I think I made a surprise Stalker with with me able to throw less because I ended up, you know, even though I'm I am a righty, I started throwing laps because I did take some boxing. That's one thing I did take from Rocky uh, and did some summer training in, in Edmonton at the Panther gym uh, with Kenny LaCousta and Daryl Duke, um, who passed away. Uh, he, but he ended up becoming um, the Oilers. In the probably mid-early 2000, Daryl became their head uh, strength guy. But, yeah, he taught me how to throw more laps. So in that fight, I think it was a, it was a pretty good fight. Like, he just – it looks – really good on on tape for him in the sense but i think you can throw a few pillows in there as well <laughs> but uh you know it was a, it, you know obviously you're 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 in right and tight there you're you know you're fighting for you know to play because i know we had some injuries and that was able to get me into the lineup uh and and play the rest of the playoffs and, and against rochester and everything else so it was it was a pivotal moment in in, in the playoffs for me to, to stay in the lineup as a, as a rookie yeah, oh, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, old PJ Stock. Yeah, what he's, man, that guy was, he's something to watch fight. That's for sure. Yeah, I noticed that actually, cause I was, obviously I was watching your fights before, before I was getting ready for the interview. And yeah, I noticed that you, you early on you were, you, you were throwing the rights, but I saw the, you, you got the lefts going and, uh, actually your fight, well, we'll get into it in the NHL with uh, Steve McLaren. You had the lefts going pretty good. Um, but yeah, so obviously you could throw both hands. So that's kind of figured you must've done some boxing, but, uh, but, um, yeah. So 99, 2000, um, you, you get into three games with the Bruins, um, going into that year, uh, you, you go back to Providence for the, you know, you played 70 games, in the, uh, with Providence. Was that, um, you know, like you said, first round pick third, third year, was it pretty disappointing to not make the team? Well, I mean, that's a stupid question. I mean, obviously, you're there to make the team. But I guess frustration, is that more, like, were you kind of like, what are we doing here? Like, I got to make it? Like, what was their, what was their talking to you? Like, what was their, what were they saying was basically holding you back from not making the team? From what I can remember, Darren, there wasn't a whole lot of talk. It was just, yeah, yeah. we were sending you to the province. That yeah. was it. You know, it wasn't really... I, I think the way that the development is now back then, I think it's a, it's a whole different game now. Yeah. Like they, like I know, I think Detroit would have been the very first team that you know, you know, maybe ten years ago that really took development seriously, and then they'd be up front with their guys. You know, you we're, we're, you're going to play three years in Grand Rapids or whatever, you know, wherever their farm team is. I know it's in Grand Rapids, still in Grand Rapids, but it's like whatever team. I know they they were really patient with their with their young prospects, and obviously, yeah, you have your one offs that come in and, and, and play right away. Like obviously, in '95, they drafted Kyle McLaren, who was very similar. Him and I were very similar players. Yeah, and you know, it, it just yeah, for whatever reason, it, you know, did I work hard enough? I thought I worked hard. Could I have worked harder? Probably, um, but at the end of the day, I, I do think you know you need to have some someone in there that can really push. Uh, and then because Doherty Clark was the guy that essentially drafted me in '96, 
and then he left that summer to go with the Islanders. So I was, I don't know if I really had anyone really advocating for me within the organization that, that had some weight behind um, their decisions or their recommendations, uh, especially when Burns came in, right? Like, I don't know if there was really anyone that really told him what he wanted for a lineup or to give opportunities for, right? So he comes in, he's got Joel Thornton, Sergey Samsonov as their first, you know, first ever draft picks under his coaching regime, right? So I came in a year before, which was kind of a shit year for them, you know, getting rid of Casper and this and that. And so, I, I, yeah, it was definitely frustrating. I never did, from what I can remember, really got told what I needed. Besides me thinking, well, I got to get better. But what do I have to get better at? in a yeah. sense right so yeah um besides the usual bigger faster stronger type stuff right and um yeah it was it was disappointing for sure and i remember within the first maybe week of practices down in providence in the regular season it was past preseason and stuff i remember um we we're doing a drill and bill army was uh dressed in his hockey equipment uh, practicing with us and I remember we did this I was the first guy to go in this one drill and I was doing the drill I knew what drill what what the drill was I ended up doing it and then I fucking caught uh one of my teammates Jay Henderson who I grew up with a little bit as well behind me uh, I'm like what the fuck I'm like thinking to myself what, 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 what are you doing Hendy right like you're fucking up my drill here and I kind of laid up I, I stopped skating and I armies like fuck Aiken get your fucking ass moving stop being so lazy that it just made an ass out of me in front of everyone. And I'm like, well, what the, f-? like, what am I I'm standing here? I'm like, why is Hendy following me? He's not supposed to be coming. And then he was just skating because he had his, uh, an injury on his arm or his hand or something. So he's only out there skating, but he came, he was following guys in drills, uh, you know, but that was the first drill that we were doing. And I had no idea what he was doing. So it caught me off guard. And I remember army at the end of that practice, said you know you get one up one side down the other in 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 a way back then i was like this guy's just giving me shit because whatever but you know you look back at it now it's like he's being honest and maybe the way he approached it could have been a little or how he delivered it could have been a little more delicate but (laughs) you know he said you gotta you got this this window's closing already for you you know you think you're a first round draft pick you you, everything should be given to you and this and that and it it was a big wake up call but I was also a little bit confused. I'm like, well, fuck, it was one drill. I, I, I didn't, it's not like I didn't work hard in practice, you know, so that was popping it all off from the disappointment of not making it in my third camp as a, as a 20 year old, you know, thinking that you're doing everything you can in the summertime to do that. Yeah. I mean, well, yeah. And it's, um, well, that, like, like I said, well, that season you fought, you, you, you get up to the show in, in April and uh, I looked it up. Uh, April fifth in Florida was your NHL de- regular season debut, and um, well, there, there's the pinnacle, man. You made it to the top of the mountain. What, what, uh, what, what's it like to strap it on and and play your first regular season NHL game? Like, what, what were your, what was that feeling like? Uh, it was, it was amazing. I, I flew down from Providence with uh, Peter Ferraro. Uh, he was called up at the same time, and uh, we flew down together to Florida. Obviously, we got there a little bit earlier before everyone else at the rink, and obviously, you know, it's Florida at that time. You know, they, they were getting, you know, okay crowds, I guess. It was kind of, you know, maybe after their, you know, the, the run that they made 
through the Stanley Cup final, it kind of it was kind of tailing off by that time. But but still, an NHL arena with all the uh, all the perks that you get when you're when you're a player, right? In, in the dress room and, and just the mass the size of the of the of the stands, it was just it was it was, it was an incredible feeling to to step up on there. And we never they never did the rookie lot back then. You just all you just went out and that was it, right? So. Um, it was uh, it was it was a moment you'll never forget for sure. And then I remember playing, you know, going on the on the plane, and you know, you're like getting dinners served to you and everything else. And it's like this this is the life. This 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 is yeah. It. This is this is this is awesome. And you're like you're just you're just so, trying to soak it all in. You know, you got Ray Bork on the plane. You got you know Adam Oates. You got all these guys. Um, on on the on the plane and you know you know PJ Axelson was there as well. It was a great Bruin and yeah. Then you go in and you play Pittsburgh. Uh, the Knicks. I think that was the Knicks, or maybe that was our last game that we played. Yeah, no, you played Philadelphia. Lindros and them. Philly. Yeah. yeah. And you know you're you're like yeah that was uh, that was a nine day when you play Florida and you come up and you play Philadelphia and you're in their barn too right so um, it was it was. It was surreal. It really was. You see these guys on TV, John LeClaire. And I remember uh, I was up at John LeClaire's golf tournament in New Hampshire in one of the, uh, before everyone kind of came down in the summer of 98. And I bought the auction where there was three sticks, you know, obviously their line, the Legion of Doom with Lindros, Renberg and um, John LeClaire. So I, I put a bid on these three sticks and, um, I won, I won the, the three sticks. So I'm like, and I was pissed off when I saw them because I'm like, and I, I forgot about it at that time because when I went down to Providence at the end of, you know, at the end of, you know, when I got sent down to Providence at, at training camp, I put those three sticks in the bus that was going down to Providence's rink. And between there and me going to the rink and grabbing those sticks, someone, someone stole those sticks. Those oh. three and I still to this day think it was our, our trainer. He's he's with uh, Vinny Vinny. What the hell's Vinny's last name? He's in the NHL. Um, I'm trying to think who he's with San Jose. Vinny, small little Italian guy, nice guy, but I he was just kind of breaking in because he came in from Wheeling with uh, Lavi Peter Laviolette uh, from Wheeling in the East Coast League, and and to this day, I was like, how do these sticks get lost? Like I put them on the bus because I couldn't fit them in my car. Cause I already had enough stuff in it. And I put, I said, oh, I'll just go down to Providence. It's a 30 minute drive, whatever it is from Boston and couldn't find them. So kicking myself in the ass after the, over back on the plane, heading back to Boston. And I'm like, fuck, I should have got them to sign their sticks again. I could have made it <laughs> make still had the, that, that souvenir, but yeah, you know, it's a whole different life. The whole the lifestyle in the NHL is way different than, you know, obviously the American league, you know, it's night and day. And, um, yeah. Right from how you can yourself to to even when you when you are looking to fight like these guys are these guys are are, are men right like you you don't realize it until you're actually on the ice like you think they're big they're even bigger in person um, but you tend to forget how they look at you you know a big young guy but you don't see yourself that way you just see everything else and that's kind of was my um, maybe my downfall. Uh, to really make that statement, like these guys see you as a big young guy coming in there and trying to make a name for the, for yourself, but you never did because you looked at them in a different, whole different light and a little bit 
not that you didn't respect him, you just gave him too much respect without, you know, being hard on him. And you know what, if you had to end up, you know, fighting, you know, Chris, Chris McAllister or someone, you know, within that, any tough guy going through it as well. It's, um, I'm just thinking Chris, because I think he was in Philadelphia at that time as well, or thereabouts. So, yeah. um, yeah, it was, it was a whole, yeah, and then, yeah, it was, it, those three games were, we'll never forget, never forget those three games, especially with the team that, that drafted you. Yeah. Well, and another guy before we just get away from the Bruins, uh, that was on that team that year was, uh, McSorley. Did, uh, did you spend any time with Marty? Just, just in the dressing room at the time that we were there. Um, not, nothing memorable to the point of having a conversation with him or any of that, but, you know, he was a, a very jovial guy in the dressing room from what I can remember, you know, smile on his face. And, you know, he was, he was one of those guys. He just, he knew what his role was and he worked his ass off every day to, to keep that role, you know, but he was really good in the dressing room. He was nice to, to, to everyone, not just to, to vets or anything like that. He was nice to everyone. Uh, well, you said you're, and the, and then the final game there with Pittsburgh, of course, they have Yager and stuff. But another guy that hit with Barnaby, did, uh, did you have any, did, do you remember playing against Barnaby? Yeah, yeah, I do. You know, you don't, you don't forget those types of players. <laughs> no. They're very animated, very least, right? So, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was, it, it, these are things that, you know, you're, when you're bringing these names back up and obviously the time frame that we, that I was, you know, you remember all these memories coming back a lot more clearer than, you know, if I was trying to think about it last week, even, you know, so it's, uh, yeah, it was, you know, fucking chatting away, just lipping the fuck. This guy never shuts up. <laughs> and you just, and you can understand like how, you know, if you, you know, obviously, you know, when you're playing these guys so many times during the year, you know, you, you know, you're going to, Fuck, I just want to shut this guy up because it's constant. It was just constant time. And that, that was only one game. You know, yeah. like you imagine you're playing at that time. I think they're playing at least six times against those types of, you know, in those, in those conferences, right? They're in your division. Yeah. So it was, you can see how, how those rivalries and, and the animosity that you just can't stand certain guys, yeah. you know, especially when you're playing, you don't know them outside of, outside of the, the rink. No, Absolutely. And now, here's a word from our sponsor. Football is back in full swing with another week of epic games. And who's got you covered on the action for every single one of them? DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the NFL. New customers can bet $5 on football and get $200 instantly in bonus bets. Nobody's missing out on the action this season. All DraftKings customers can take advantage of two new offers every game day this September. Get in on the NFL Week 2 action with DraftKings Sportsbook. Download the app now and use the code THPN to sign up. New customers can bet just $5 and take home $200 instantly in bonus bets. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with the code THPN. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.sot1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of the Boot Hill Casino and Resorts in Kansas City, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. See sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football terms for eligibility, terms, and responsible gambling resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. 
Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. And now back to your regularly scheduled program. All right, folks, we're back here. I just had to, just wanted to save that part. Uh, um, all right, well, so the, the, you play the three games, the Bruins, you wrap up. Um, well, and the next, obviously, uh, was it, a, a, I guess, a, a mutual parting of the ways, or did they just, uh, what happened there? Because actually the next season, you start in the Czech Republic. Um, what happened with the whole Boston Bruins situation? Yeah, it was... Uh... Again, you know, getting sent down to Providence, and obviously when I got down there, you know, you get your rings. You start off the season quite well. You uh, get your rings from winning the championship your first year. Your last year of contract, you're looking for a big year. And, you know, and it's – back then it's like, well, how can you – it's a demotion if you end up playing – forward as a defenseman you know you're not playing top six top six lines or you're playing obviously I was very you know I was pissed off and whatever else and my agent didn't do me any favors I don't think at the time you know you could have it could have said like you know what you don't have to grin and bear it and keep working hard and and don't don't lose focus but you need I it was just be somewhere else, and they weren't able to trade me any, um, anywhere. Uh, I don't know if they even tried to trade me. So it was that part of it was very, very uh, discouraging, uh, Darren, to say the least. So um, yeah, then he ended up saying, "Well, we got you. We can get you over to." Slovakia. Actually, it was the first team was in Slovakia, in Trenchin. You know, old Zdeno Tara's Nick of the Woods. And uh, do I do I still have you? Yeah, yeah. You're kind of, you're kind of going in and out a little bit, uh, but no, I got you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well. Yeah. So yeah, I was I was in Slovakia and in Trenchin. Uh, yeah. So I, I was going over there pretty miserable, um, pissed off. On, on on different levels, so I mean, one with my with my agent, one with my with myself, um, and it was just yeah, it was just disappointing all around. And then I ended up playing a few practices over the, in in Trenchin with the with the, the team there, and then they ended up well, it's you know they ended up you know I was there for maybe a week, then I ended up going to, to Prague, and I kind of finished the year in, in Prague, uh, which. Which was a lot of fun. Don't get me wrong; it was, it was more fun than it was worried about developing as a hockey player. That's for sure. But uh, when you're when you're able to go buy a beer for a big pint of beer, and it's good beer over there for sure, for eighty cents American, you, you tend to you tend to do the you tend to focus more on that, right? Yeah. And there it was it was a wake up call really over there. Like how like it was a it was just a lifestyle for them. Like all the guys that were on the team. Like Peter Nedved's brother was on the team. He was my D partner, um, and I remember after my first game, um, you know, there's these you know beautiful Czech women coming in with uh, platters of food, and they're dressed in these skin tight bodysuits. And it was like, what's going? You're like, what's going on here? And it's like I can get used to this, right? And yeah, it was uh, you know, and then these guys are doing like like moonshine shots before they go out for the game. 
Like, it's not like they're getting drunk or anything like that. They just take a big, uh, like a shot glass or, you know, half a, a smaller glass shot of this homemade uh, liquor. And they, you know, not everyone did it, but probably a good handful of guys would do it. And you know, like, geez, like, there's a whole different world when it came to their preparation and, and, and how they played the game. So it was, uh, it was different for sure, but I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was just, how I came about, you know, you think you, you'd play over in Europe at the end of your career, not kind of at this, you know, within the first three years of your pro career. Yeah. Um, which was, you know, I know I, I had a lot to do with it, obviously, because it was my career. I had control of what I could do, but I never did stand up to, to what I needed to do, you know, for myself, either be with my agent or with Boston and say, you know what, I gotta, I gotta be, I gotta, I gotta, I got to bring it more. I had to, you know, if I had to fight more, I should have fought more. If I had to play harder, I have to, if I had to, you know, play a, a different style of game, work on doing that. And, and I guess I was, you know, going back to the Bill Armstrong uh, comment of your window being so, so small, you know, I never took advantage of it. Yep. So that's kind of where I ended up at, at that time. And then obviously, you know, down the line, you get a, you know, you get a second run at it. And you make make more of a made more of an opportunity out of, out of that second opportunity. Yeah, well, I was gonna say. So the next year, you come back to North America and you actually start in the East Coast League in Jackson with the Bandits. And um, yeah, I mean, at that point, I mean, you're you know you're trying to make the comeback in, in North America and get your name back out there. How um, how did you take the East Coast League? Were, were you pretty miserable there, or did you understand that this is the step you needed to take, or? Yeah, yes and no. Like, I think when you looked at that back in the time, like, I know nowadays it's a lot different than how I'm looking at it nowadays, you know, you know, being, in, you know, trying to make it as, a, as an agent with young players and everything else, you see it in a different light as, as you right now, because you obviously going through it is one thing, but then seeing it um, from a different point of view, you know, I think back then it was like all the East Coast, if you play in the East Coast, you're done. Yeah, and and then and and probably at that time ninety ninety eight percent, you are done. Yeah, um, you know, but obviously there's a few guys that came out of that. You know, around that, you know, especially in the late nineties, early two thousand, there wasn't a very many of them that would you know go on and make an NHL career out of it. There are there are exceptions. Don't get me wrong that that did do that, but I'm like fuck. I'm I'm twenty three. I think at that time, and I'm like in the East Coast League. I'm like, just four or five years ago. I'm a first round draft pick, and I'm like, where did this all go wrong? In a, in a sense, I'm like, what 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 am I missing? What am I not doing? Well, what do I need to do? So I need, you know, and then yeah, Jackson was okay. It was like it was a it was a different, total different life being in Mississippi for sure. It's like, and some of the guys that you're on the team, they're like, what the fuck are you thinking? Like you guys are, you know, it wasn't very good hockey. Right. So you're like, you don't want to get sucked in and playing shit hockey for, you know, two, three months or, and you, you'll, then you never get back to the American league. Not even, don't even think about the NHL at that time. Right. So I was very fortunate. I only had maybe a short stint there. Uh, had some decent guys that were around. Sean Gillum was a guy that I knew going into, you know, when I got there that played in Lethbridge, um, in juniors and everything else. So I, I was familiar with, with, with Gilly a little bit when I got there and the coach, the, it was a young coach and he, he understood what my goals were. Cause I, it was like, 
I wasn't there for a good time. I was there just to get the, to do what I had to do and get the fuck out. Is that essentially what I wanted to do? And don't get me wrong, I, I wasn't a, a, a being a prick to my teammates or anything like that. You know, I still did the teammate thing and everything else. Um, but yeah, my goal wasn't to be there for that long. And Al McIsaac, who was the GM in Norfolk, which was obviously Chicago's farm team at the time, and Trent Yanni was the the coach there. They they were two pivotal guys in my corner that saw that potential of being that first round draft pick that could you know can play the game, but can also play the the physical element as as well, uh, and 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 not be alive. You know, play twenty twenty five minutes or whatever it is but never be a liability out there, but you can also, you know, fight if you have to. And we had a real tough team in Norfolk, yeah. that, you know, those couple of years that I was there. Yeah. Um, Sean Thornton obviously is probably the one that comes, you know, right to the top of the list. Yeah. How, well, he yeah. had, so Jackson, man, and Jackson that guy was, played. Jackson, he, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, Jackson was, uh, was not a stop that I wanted, but I guess it was maybe a, ne- a necessary one to really set things straight for myself. Well, and like you said with the East Coast, like what is it? It's always easy come, hard to leave, right? Isn't that what it stands for? Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. Well, you get to Norfolk, and like you brought up the name Sean Thornton, and I mean, and there was a guy. How he did it for that long at that le- like he played what six hundred games in the American League, and then like six hundred more in the NHL, and won two cups, and fought ev- fought everyone. What was uh, what was Thornton? What was he like? What was it like to be around Sean Thornton for those three years? Uh, never a dull moment like we had such a like we never really had the superstar on our team right we had a real like Yanni Trent was Yans was the only coach we had no no assistant coach um at all and uh it was just Trent and he put a lot of trust in us as players to know what we had to do was our um was our job and uh it was it was it was a different feeling knowing that he had so much he had so much trust in us as players, and you know he knew he that's why he is where he is still in, in the NHL coaching either be an assistant coach position is he got to know each other he got to know us on a personal level and what made us tick and what what we needed to get motivated mind you he didn't go through our phones or anything like that not that we had iPhones at the time but. Um, we got, you know, he'd bring us over to his house. We'd have, you know, dinners there and, and got to know Charlene, his wife, and everything else. So Sean was just another example of how to, you know, how he grinded it out for so long. And, you know, obviously in, with St. John's Maple Leafs at the, for a certain amount of time. And then obviously with, with us and with, when I played with him in Norfolk, he just, he was just a pillar of hard work. You know, I think Thornton would would be the first guy to say, "Look, I I didn't have the best skill. I wasn't the best at this. But one thing that no one could ever do was was outwork him. And he always came into camp the best shape. And that was his that was his statement of saying, "You know what? I'm here. I took it serious. I'm here to to do what I need to do to to protect my teammates and to help my team win at, at whatever cost." Uh, great guy off the ice. Um, he had the smallest dog. Crazy was his name. It was a miniature uh, Doberman, a miniature pincher, I think. You see, he has this dinky little little dog. I shouldn't say anything at the time because I had a, you know, obviously being the size that I am, you know, I had a 
fucking tongue at the time as well. So <laughs> I don't know. It was just those tough guys having all these small little dogs, but I guess it was just easy to travel with with smaller dogs, I guess. But but Thorny was such a such a influence of of you know you wanted to play for the guy, you wanted to do whatever you wanted for that whole team. Ty Jones, AJ Baines, Marty Wilford, who's now an assistant coach with with. Um, with Buffalo, right, and had to stop in in, uh, in Anaheim as well, right. So, you know, you have these relationships. You, you maybe lose touch with these guys for for quite some time, but you never, you know, you pick up where you left off. You know, if you see them two years to five years down the down the road, but at thirty, it wouldn't be any different. Yeah, well, you make it all the way back to, and you make the Chicago Blackhawks in 0304, You play forty one games. Uh, and the coach at the time was, of course, the legendary Sutter family, Brian Sutter. What was it like playing for him? I love, I love Sutty. I, I love playing for him, and uh, I still play. I still played for him uh, even after I was playing senior AAA down in Innisville with the e- Innisville Eagles, the, the senior AAA league. Yeah, Sutty would say, "Hey, like, come on, Aches, come play for me," you know. And you know, hockey, you can't say no to to Brian. You can't say no to any Sutters in nope. a sense. But especially the connection that I had with with Brian. But I remember Steve Sullivan, like uh, Sam Knob was on the team, um, Mark Bell, Kyle Calder. I know Calder and Belzy were were okay with it, but I know Sully. <laughs> Sully was uh, a guy like because he, he's intense. Sutsy would come in between periods and he'd fucking pace around the uh, the dressing room, and, and you know, especially if we didn't have a very good period, he'd be fucking staring guy like. Clenching his fists and he's like, fuck, let's go, guys. He's got to, you got to, you know, he's pump, pumping his fist in his other hand. And some guys didn't like that. Like, you know, it's just like, but I, I liked it. He'd say, like, come on, Aches, fucking get in there and, and just be hard. Just be hard to play against. Just be hard. It's like, you know, so, you know, it, to me, it was a great time to be, to be on that Chicago team, even though we didn't have the, the winningest records. But, um, I, I love Brian. I still to this day love, love the guy. Yeah, well, a couple other characters in that team, of course, Jason Strudwig and Ryan Vandenbush. There's some tough dudes yeah. right there. <laughs> yeah, I remember Struds was, uh, we're on the road. I can't remember exactly where we were, but he's like, you know, because we had Travis Moen coming up as yep. well. There's myself, there was Struds, there was Bushy. Uh, just the four of us there. Just name the four right there. I'm sure there's a few other guys that were, that were coming up in the lineup as well. Struts is like, fuck, like, you guys keep fighting. I'm going to be out of a job here. Like, come on, like, leave leave something for me. Because, you know, he knew that was part of his game as well. You know, hard to play against. And, he, you know, dropping the gloves was, was part of his role as well. But it was like, we, we just kind of trended up. And obviously, yeah, Sean was in the, uh, in there as well. 30 was in there as well, right? Yeah. Um. So it was, it was like, fuck. And I was, and then I made the emergency recall after I didn't know at the time when I was up with, with Chicago for most of the year, I didn't realize I was on an emergency recall for most of the, most of that time. Because as soon as Steve Pops came back from injury, that's, you know, since he said, yeah, Aches, you know, I hate doing this. It's just a legality with the league, your emergency recall. And as soon as someone comes back up off the, the IR or whatever, we have to send that guy back down to to the American League team, and, and you know I don't want to do it. I, I you you've fucking done everything for us. 
love having you on the team. I love you in the dressing room. All the good stuff, right? It was very positive, but it was just a, it was a numbers thing, and it was, uh, it was, it was. But the time that I was there, I, I loved it. It was, you know, I. And then again, you know, come that end of the year, end of that contract, they, it was going into the lockout year, um, yeah. 04 to 05, and you know, my agent uh, at the time, or I, I never got rid of my agent for my whole career, which. You know, it is what it is now, but I, you know, he said, yeah, Vancouver came in with an offer, a two year, the first year was a two way, second year would have been a one way. Uh, but I didn't, I was kind of hesitant. I remember I was being hesitant with it because I was, I, I loved Chicago so much with the guys and obviously with, with Brian, but they were saying, you're not going to make no more, no one's going to make more than 50 grand in this, in the American League because they knew there was going to be a lockout, right? So they didn't want anyone making, whatever you know over 75 grand or whatever it was and it was it was a two-year deal that they gave me and it was just a it was a two-year two-way deal uh for both years and i wanted to take that but i got kind of talked out of it just because it was a one-way deal in vancouver for my second year which never came into fruition right but it uh i i I regret not signing back with chicago i think for me personally i think looking back at it now i I, I found uh, I found a home, but I also found part of my uh, my game really fit in into the depth charts of the back end, which you know my agent at the time never really said. He said, "No, it's better money here. Just go here." Right? I think never really had that conversation of saying, hey, "You know what? Take a little bit less now because." two or three years from now, you'll have a, uh, you know, you could have a, the potential of getting a, a, you know, a one-way deal with Chicago. I never had that. So I kind of got, and that was my fault. I never, I never challenged them, you know, uh, in the sense of, you know, and you, you know, I should have challenged them saying, you know what, do, do more homework, do better homework on this. And, you know, but it's all hearsay now, Darren, as they yep. say. <laughs> well, like you said, your lockout, you're in Manitoba with the Moose, uh, playing for Randy Carlisle. Um, what was it like playing for him? Kitty Carlisle. Yeah. Fucking Kitty. He, uh, he loved his fishing. And, you know, you know, when you talk about, uh, there's that, that, that clip with him and when he's in Toronto with, uh, uh, Phil Kessel, right. About fuck you, uh, you get on the bike, uh, oh, yeah. uh you know, yeah. all this kind of stuff. All right. So, and he, he was exactly like that. He would, he would, he was all about getting guys back and just, just bickering with guys all the time. Right. And he, he, um, he, on our days off, like we didn't get a lot, the ones that we did, he get, he booked ice fishing for us on a, on a day off in the middle of December or January in Manitoba. So it's cold as balls. And here we are going to this, you know, and he was always the guy. You're, if you're five minutes early, you're five minutes late. So if you're not there in time, the bus, we had a bus that took us uh, to this resort or wherever it was. It wasn't a resort, but it was ice fishing, you know. So me and Wade Brookbank shared a shack, and we had like a flat of beer. in this. And we, had, we put our sticks in there or whatever. We didn't fish. We just drank the whole day. And it was like, he did that a lot because he was a real outdoorsy guy. Um, but fuck, we had so many, um, 
no, uh, just player only meetings because not a, not a lot of us liked Randy. You know, I think looking back at it at it now, I, you know, the way he was and the way I was, I was not taking my uh, my career seriously. Like I I was my 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 past life. My my ex wife was from Brandon, and with being in in, in Winnipeg, it was. It was an. I was doing a lot of driving between Winnipeg and, and Brandon, Manitoba, which was the wrong thing to do. So, they never really uh, set me up for a successful season. I had a little glimpses here and there. Bob Murray was the guy that that was with uh, with the team uh, with Vancouver at the time, and he was the one that really recommended them to sign me because he obviously came from Chicago as well, if I remember correctly. And he uh, he was. You know, I remember we had a, we were playing in Chicago against the Wolves, and we had a dinner afterwards. And he came up to me and said, "Hey, what's like, what's going on here? You're playing like shit. You're this. You're that. You're not doing this. You're not doing this enough." And then, you know, it was it was disappointing. I was disappointed in myself. Like, and obviously for for him to come up to me and talk to me like that, like it was just honest. Uh, you know, he, he put his recommendation on the you know his reputation and, and recommendation on the line for Vancouver to sign me because he saw what I was able to do in Chicago for those 41 games. And, um, yeah, so there was some glimpses and some flashes in the pan that year with Manitoba where I did play well and, but, you know, it never came and never had an exit meeting with, with, with Steve Tambellini or anything like that. You know, um, I was a healthy scratch in playoffs. Uh, so yeah, I was never, it was, it wasn't looking good at that time right uh it was like you know so it is what it is and you know you you, you live and learn but you, you know i guess that's why i got into you know leading to what i'm doing now darren is is helping these young players and professionals understand like don't don't take a missed opportunity regardless if it's a, a legit opportunity where you're actually playing at a certain level american league or nhl or even east coast to take full advantage of it right and you know, and then I and I challenged the guys that I work with because I never got challenged where, where I wanted to, where I needed to get challenged. You know, I didn't know everything at that time, and I and then sometimes I did pretend that I did. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, Katie Carlisle, he was a fucking beauty, that's for sure. <laughs> well, one guy, obviously, there's a couple characters. Well, you mentioned Wade drinking in the shack with Wade Old. Uh, he he's been a guest on this show. Uh, good dude. Um, also, well, Kevin BX is on that on that team. What, what, what was he like? Yeah. But he was my D partner. He was my roommate. Like we, So when we went to like, uh, Vancouver was one of the few teams that had a uh, rookie camp uh, that year. So I was out and I roomed with, with Juice uh, for that camp. And then obviously playing with them, we were roommates on the road as well. Uh, and yeah, I, obviously, you know, the story that I heard, you know, once I was getting to know him, uh, in in Vancouver for that camp was when he actually decked one of their the Russians the the when he came out of Bowling Green uh, outside of Earl's restaurant in Winnipeg. Feder it was uh, Fe- Federoff. Feder Federoff. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Feder Yeah. Just just one punched him right just right outside the parking lot right in front of the the restaurant he just decked him one. So Juice was always a guy that you know you knew where you stood with him he was he was quick witted. Just, just what you see now with how he is. That's how he has always been. And 
you know, it, it's great to see the his personality, you know, come out, and he played like that as well, right? You know, and um, you know, obviously it was a it was the start of his young career at that time, and you know, you just got to know him. It was just he's just a good guy, and yeah, he, the guy can play hockey. Not just yep. the fighting part of it. He was the he was the full package. Absolutely. Sure. Well, another name I have to ask you, of course, um, you know, and I know, he, I know he came up from junior, he didn't play a lot that year, just about eight games, but I have Did to I ask you. Uh, no, I'm still here. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? You there, Darren? Okay, we're back here. Uh, I was going to ask you about the late Rick Rippon. Do you have any uh, stories about him? Yeah, I remember Rick. He came in from Regina. Uh to Manitoba and again very you know very humble guy very quiet from what I remember uh, but very humble and he came in very you know professional and then obviously the first game that he played he gets into a scrap with um, trying I, I'd have to look it up to see who he scrapped but again he kept throwing his rights and he was just a kid that you know learned how to how to throw lefts and he and he, he stunned the guy and and buckled him in a sense, in his first fight, and that made that impression with with uh, with with Randy at that time, obviously. And then um, you know you had guys like uh, 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 Burke was in the house, right? Because he was, you know, obviously, um, you know, they were obviously pretty close friends at the time. And and Burke was coming into Winnipeg, and he came into the dressing room, uh, you know, more towards the end of the season and stuff. But Rick was a was a very quiet young man you know he was 20 21 at the time and he came in there just did his business had a little grin on his face and you knew he was going to go places you knew he had that 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 fire that you know he wanted to make it and he knew how he had to make it right uh unfortunately you know i think uh he was you know i feel for him and his family not you know he got robbed of you know potentially a good a good career a young, you know, a hard career, but a good career at the same time. Absolutely. Um, well, before we leave Manitoba, I have to ask you about one tilt. Um, do you remember your fight with Yablonski? <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I want to remember it, to be honest with you. I don't think it was, from what I can remember, it wasn't a very good fight. Uh, you know, Jeremy was a, was a fucking, he was a tank. You yeah. know, and, he, you know, he was, he, he was one of the few guys, that I, you know, yeah, there's, there's guys that hit hard. He hit hard. The one guy that I would recommend that not fighting was Mike Siglenka out of, from Meadow Lake. I fought him when I was in Norfolk where he was in the, with the Phantoms. And that guy hit me probably 17 times to my one punch. And probably, you know, on YouTube, you see the ladder of it, which is, you see him totally manhandling me at that time. But, uh, he hit so hard, and the next guy that hit just as hard as him was Yablonski, for sure. You know, uh, Jeremy had uh, he could pack a punch for the size that he was. Yeah. Well, and another name I didn't bring it up at the time. He ended up fighting him four times, and of course, he's the American League all-time penalty minute leader and character he is in his own right. Was Dennis Bonvi? What was it like fighting Bonvi yeah. <laughs> Bones and playing against him? Because I'm sure he had a little Barnaby in him too. I remember, uh, so yeah, I fought him like when we, when I played in Norfolk, he was in Binghamton. And every time teams came down to play us, 
they'd play two game homestand. We'd have a two game homestand against him. So I fought him, I think three times in in those two games. And talking to the the bones, he, he never lost a fight, right? He, he never lost a fight. He said, "Hey, I'll beat you up again. I'll beat you up again." You know, how does it feel when you get beat up by me all the time? I said, fuck, seriously, like, you never beat me. Like, we fought. I won, you know, whatever. But it was, I still talked to him because obviously he scouts with, he's a pro scout for Boston, right? Yep. So I, 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 we reminisce. And I say, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll strap on the, the skates again and you can beat me again or whatever the case is, right? So it, it's all in good fun. And he was one of the guys that always, um, he'd wear the Jofa, the old Jofa helmet for, for practice. So we were in Binghamton one time, and uh, they're practicing before us. And I said to him, I was yelling from him from the bench or from behind the glass. I'm like, why don't you wear that in the games, you big fucking pussy or whatever it was, right? Just to to kind of get and he's smirking away, right? And you know, and that time we had uh, Louis DeBrusque was with the team as well with us at that time as well, right? So yep. uh, Big Lou was obviously played with 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 Dennis. Uh, in um, Cape Breton, I think, with the Oilers, when they were with the Oilers as well. So uh, it was uh, – but, yeah, he, every time he talked to Bones, it was – yeah, he won every fight that he that he was in. He never lost a fight. <laughs> <laughs> well, the following year, you're in Hamilton, in Montreal's farm team. And um, I, I was going to ask you, one of the guys – again, another guy that I had on the show, uh, and I know you fought him a few times, and now your teammates is Pete Vandermeer. Oh, Pistol Pete, yeah. Yeah, we fought a few times there in uh, when he was with the Phantoms, you know. And, and again, I think he was a lot like similar. Him and Rocky would be very similar. Not very, no, not not your big heavyweights, but would fight heavyweights because they were such good, smart fighters, right? They would they weigh you out. They tire the, the guy would that the bigger guy would tire you out. But playing with playing with Pistol in, in in Hamilton was it was a breath of fresh air, you know. At that time here. You know, you're coming out of you know Winnipeg and, and Vancouver's t- uh, organization, and you're trying to find you know some some reason to to keep playing and and or to find the love for the game again because you're just getting beaten down. You're you know right, wrong, or indifferent. That's the, the nature of the beast, right? You're and um, but yeah, pistol. I still played against him in a few games in um, in senior hockey. He's still pulling the same shit. You know, slashing guys behind the legs, just being a shit disturber, right? But who 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 who's going to do anything, right? If you're gonna if you're gonna fight them, you better buckle up and 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 be ready to put your best effort forward, right? And you're going to get a couple licks, you know, you might get a couple licks in, but guarantee he's gonna he's gonna outsmart you by the end of it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, at this point, you know, you're you're 27. Um, and the following year, you go to Austria. Um, had you kind of made your peace with like the NHL's over, like the dreams over, kind of at that point? Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, I think personally, in my in my personal life at that time, you know, I, I wasn't doing the things I wanted to do, what I should have been doing. You know, I kind of compromised with you know with my with my past. Uh, partner and this and that and and not wanting to piss anyone off so i you know i just kind of floated by which uh, which was wrong like i i really didn't take the bull by the horns and really take ownership of my career regardless in what my personal life was like 
in a sense of, you know, who I was, you know, married to my, you know, my family or kids or whatever. I should have, you know, this is my job. I got a, I got, it's a, it's a full-time job. It's not, yeah, you only get paid during the season and in, in playoffs, but it's full-time job. Regardless, you got to stay on top of things or you your job. And, you know, you got more and more younger guys coming in and I never took it. I don't think I really took it serious enough knowing that uh, well, it'll work out. Right. Like that, that's the kind of advice that I was getting from, from that part of, part of my, part of my life was, oh, it'll work out. Don't worry. It's, it's, no, it, you got to go out and you got to get it and you got to work hard for it. There's no, there's no just coasting by and getting the results that you want. You can't have excuses and results at the same time as they say. Right. So I had a few excuses and um, looking back at it, at it now, I, I obviously have a lot of regret when it comes to that, but at the same time, I did have a good time and, you know, a good experience at the very least in Austria. And even, even being over there, I could have extended my career to, you know, four or five years more if I wanted to, but, you know, I got influenced and talked into doing other things. And, uh, for that part of my life, I, I wish I wish I took advantage of the the, the 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 teams that I was with, and obviously the the places that I was in, and uh, took more advantage of becoming a a, a more well-rounded professional. At the, at the, when I when I look back at it now. Well, it was you know like you said you you know you, you played uh, you know a long time in the American League, and you wrap it up in Austria. Um, so at that point. Uh, you know, uh, you got to the NHL and uh, had some tilts and had some uh, have some stories and uh, for uh, and some memories for a lifetime. But uh, I want to thank you for coming on the show and sharing them. Um, but what is uh, what's Jonathan Aiken doing these days? Well, I'm still in the you know I'm still in the business of hockey, just on the different side of it. I am I got my own company uh, called Top Shelf Hockey Agency, uh, so I'm working with. Obviously, young kids that are, you know, either be your draft eligible for the Western Hockey League draft all the way up to uh, pro guys. I got a few pro guys. My oldest guys are 21 now. They're one signed with uh, New Jersey, a Utica, uh, Jace Isley out of Red Deer. He's originally from Grand Prairie. He got signed with Utica there just the other day. Uh, Cole Dubinsky is within the Boston organization. He's starting out in... Uh, with uh, Providence and, and Maine in their East Coast League in their East Coast League team, so I'm doing the agent thing or advisor as you call it now, which was a real different word for me when I you know when I went through it, I was always an agent. Now with the guys that are wanting to go NCAA, you have to be tagged as an advisor. <laughs> so I'm doing the agent advisor thing uh, for the last few years, and uh, yeah, it's a grind. But uh, yeah, no matter if you're on the ice or off the ice. You have to grind it out. You have to work hard and and really uh, it's cutthroat more so in this business than it is, you know, obviously if you have any disagreements on the ice, you can just drop the gloves and go at it. On this way, it's, it's you know, a lot of these guys can be very uh, detrimental and they can, they don't pull any punches in the sense of trying to discredit your reputation. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So. Well, looking at it, like I said, from, I mean, obviously it's a, a, a broad answer. I mean, there's, you can go a number of ways, but you just look back at your WHL career and, and what you went through and how the, and how the game was played. I mean, what, what are the biggest differences now from when you were playing? Do you think? I, I just think, uh, just, I think the accountability thing on the ice 
has, has changed. I think guys can can take advantage of the of players, regardless if they're if it's a skilled player or a fourth line player. I think you don't have that that guy like a Sean Thornton. I think was was a guy that was never a liability on the ice. He could play the game within, and he already knew how he had to play in order to to be a contributing, not just on the you know with the fighting and and being that police guy out on the on the ice, but he could score goals. He could he could play the structure of the game. So I think obviously with the way the league's going, you know, you got the Quebec League, you know, banning fighting now, and I don't think. I don't. I don't agree with that. I think it's always good to have a guy out there that can play the game, but can also hold guys honest in the sense of, you know what, you 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 you're taking advantage of us. Enough's enough. I'm going to hold you accountable. I don't think you have a lot of guys as they get in into the junior ranks. They may be like they may have that attitude and that uh, in the in the minor hockey or U18 as they call it now. But once you get into juniors, you don't see a whole lot of line brawls or you know a whole melee of where guys play differently when they don't have to have that um you don't have that well there's got to be a consequence right they're not scared yeah 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 there's no consequence at all like i think you have a big hit yeah okay you know you don't have to fight after every big hit but every big hit nowadays is like you get a penalty for it it's like what do you mean? You got a penalty for it, right? Like it's a clean hit, you know. Like you know, and if if you know if it doesn't happen right away, it'll happen at some point during the game. But you got to keep these guys on their toes, you know. I, I think the accountability thing and consequences is is part of sports, especially team sports, right? If if you didn't want any, you're going to have that even more so because you have, you know, twenty some players on a team. You're going to have twenty three different consequences for. 23 different players uh if you're going to look at that whereas you have consequences in, in golf and tennis if you're not prepared you're you're taking advantage of situations um you, you gotta you, you're gonna pay for it you know obviously that's the beauty of hockey you know you, you've always been able to hold guys accountable i just think guys in this day and age going against a guy like a dave Semenko or a dave brown <laughs> these these men among men you know, it's like it's a it's a big it's a big eye opener for for a lot of these kids, right? Because they don't think they have that that uh, that element to the game anymore. No, absolutely. Well, uh, well, I know you're pressed for time, and uh, and I want to thank you for taking the time today to to sit down and uh, and talk to me about your about your career. And I know the people are going to dig this, so uh, I'll let you go. But uh, Jonathan, I want to thank you again very much for coming on the show. No, thanks so much, Darren. I appreciate it. Uh, it was great reminiscing about all these uh, guys I've played with and played against. So, uh, no, I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you. And you people that don't like fighting, how many of you did you walk out and get a coffee while that was 